Hello, I'm Joe, this month's host of The Commentarians. And I'm Reese Vicinio, this month's very handsome guest. <laughs> and, and we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, hi everyone, welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Uh, welcome, everyone, to The Commentarians. Uh, this month we're doing Fight Club uh, with our special guest, Riz, uh, Reese Pasimio, is it? Is that how you pronounce Pesimio? it? Pasimio, yes. Oh, perfect. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I heard you yes. on a podcast, uh, uh, Smart Council. I, I do. I have a, I have a podcast, Smart uh, a podcast called Smart Council. It's it's early in the day, too early to talk. Really, yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah. Things about me. I'm uh, I'm a Eastern Orthodox Christian, uh, not Greek. Uh, and I have a I'm husband to one wife, father to three boys, and professionally, I'm a counselor, teacher, uh, speaker, and a pre-published author <laughs> i'm working on a science fantasy novel nice. and uh excited about that uh hopefully we'll drop next year yeah that's awesome uh so you picked the movie fight club uh and i heard a podcast that you did of your uh, an episode of your podcast that you did on uh, masculinity uh what made you want to do this movie and uh give us uh, th- some thoughts on that yeah i have I, I, lo- I really love talking about uh, gender masculinity as I'm figuring out for myself what does it mean to be a healthy man and as I work, as I, in my counseling practice, I counsel primarily men and this question of like, how do I be as a man? How do I be a healthy man? What does that look like? And it usually looks a lot like being able to talk about feelings more, being able to be vulnerable more. And it's always in counterpart or in response to this kind of um, clunky concept of uh, toxic masculinity and mm. which, you know, toxic masculinity, limiting masculinity, you know, however we want to talk about it. Um, and in my head, I'd always thought as, uh, you know, thinking of what, what's like an archetype of like the toxic masculinity culture. And in my head, I'd always thought, you know, Fight Club, mm. you know, Tyler Durden and, and all of that, um, which might not have been completely fair of me because honestly, like I, I last time I saw this movie was, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, right. um, but it was a little bit bigger for me in early, early college. Anyway, so that was part of my interest here is is remembering kind of a kind of kind of a toxic feel to this movie. I mean, it was fun, supercharged. I really love the movie. Sure, but, um, but that, that, was, that was part of my interest here. And then as I was reflecting on it, I covered a whole bunch of other surprising themes, which <laughs> I'm excited to talk about as well. Right. Well, uh, that's what's interesting is that. Um, uh, uh, God, I forget his name. Tom Sharpling, who does a show called uh, uh, Best Best Show, uh, the Best Show, I think it's called. Uh, but he talks about the Sopranos, and he says that there's two kinds of Sopranos fans: 
there's the fans who get it, who understand that it's about self-destruction and self-hatred and, you know, anxiety and trying to raise a family. And then there's the dum-dums who like it for the wrong reasons, because it's a gangster movie and, you know, they got, you know, Tony Soprano has sex with lots of women. That's not what it's about, but a lot of people think that that's what it's about and you're missing the point. If, and I think that that's what this movie did for a lot of men. When they saw it, yeah. they're like, yeah, it's about being a man and society sucks and they're making us feminine. And it's about being violent and fighting and, and everything. Exactly. And so when they, if you actually like pay attention to it, there's a lot of subtext. And a lot of interesting things that it's actually saying about masculinity that uh, I think uh, a lot of people missed. I think so. Another another uh, theme I'll be interested to get your take on this is um, the way this movie actually handles spirituality is actually really interesting, really profound. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to see if we deduce that this is more of a parallel or a parody of like orthodoxy in particular mm. uh, and uh, anyway, so <laughs> we, we, <laughs> well, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see if that goes anywhere. All right, so let's get started. Uh, as always, uh, you do not have to have seen the movie uh, before watching before you hear this podcast because it is a rated R movie. What I do is I explain the plot and the spoilers and everything you need to know before uh, in the coming attractions in case you don't you know you don't want to see it because it is pretty graphic. Uh, but if you do, then follow along. We're going to do a countdown, three, two, one, and press play. And uh, again, you don't need to be watching it because the conversation is very broad and uh, we're going to discuss stuff as we go along that uh, doesn't always have to do with the movie. So uh, let's get ready to start. Again, I'm going to do a countdown. Then when I press play, you press play. Uh, we are paused at three seconds for you guys at home. Three, two, one, play. Okay. You see the 20th Century Fox logo. And this, I mean, who is this? David Lynch, right? David Finchner? David, uh, David Fincher, right. I get those confused when I... Uh... Yeah. David Fincher from 1999. Uh, written by... the. It's based on the book by Chuck Palon, uh, Palonic, Chuck Luke? Palonic. Yeah, I don't know. Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Palonic, yeah. So funny, 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 funny connection. This is like my very loose connection to fame. So, so Chuck Chuck Palahniuk was in a writers group with Tom Spanbauer. Tom Spanbauer was at least one of his writing mentors, and mm-hmm. Tom Spanbauer is local to to Portland in Southeast Portland. And uh, about ten years ago, for a for, for a hot minute, I was in the same writers group. Oh wow. Uh, Kind of on the fringe, like the way he had it set up. He has it set up in his basement uh, at the time he did. And, um, you know, there's this table for like the core members who get to share their work every week. And then there's like um, the term was like the pond scum. It's like the those of us who are wanting to get in and we sit on the chairs on the outside. Uh, so I, I got as far as the pond scum and I got as far as the chairs. Never quite got to the <laughs> table, although I did, I did get to read a story in this group where Chuck Palahniuk was once long before me. So, and one time he was actually there. So oh, nice. I've seen him in person. <laughs> so that's my very, very loose connection to Chuck Palahniuk, <laughs> which is not very much of a connection at all. But anyway, but yes, so all that to say, so, um, uh, so the movie is based on the novel. I've, I've read the novel too, and hmm. it's really brilliant. And it's one of those novels where, um, I mean, you kind of read it for the story, you kind of read it for the wordsmithing, and 
it just, um, it's brilliant in a way that it challenges you, makes you think, kind of makes you uncomfortable. Um, but it has this like kind of uncomfortable way of like calling out reality for what it is. Sure. So, you know, again, graphic content, but uh, I, I would I would recommend it for just the quality of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just well made. It, I mean, David Fincher is just a brilliant filmmaker. This is really good writing, and the acting's great, and it's funny. It, it has all the hallmarks right. of a good movie. So. I think so. Yeah, there, one of the so as a storytelling technique. So this movie does a lot of really fun things with foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Like, and and so it's, it's one of those stories where they're technically giving away the ending right at the beginning. Right. Um, but because like you have no context, you kind of just yeah, you, you could possibly just like blow past it and be like, eh. so <laughs> it's one of those movies. Yeah, and so um, yeah, for, like for example, they're talking about uh, right now. It starts with. Uh, uh, the narrator, they don't have ever, even give his name, but, uh, you yeah. know, there's the narrator and Tyler Durden, who is his friend. Uh, they're in a building, and he says that there are bombs in 10 buildings in the city, and he knows this because Tyler knows this, and the, you really don't know what that means. But, uh, right. and here we have our first criticism of masculinity or, you know, femininity or right. however you want Yeah, well... Well, there's there's a lot going on in this scene. So so then so the narrator we can kind of call him Jack. Sometimes he gets called Jack because yeah. that'll come through later. Anyway, so so Jack is um, he's become this like support group addict, mm-hmm. and and he he'll he'll explain that for himself in a little bit. But but he's at this group. It's the remaining men together, men who have testicular cancer, and um, there there is this interesting discussion that they make about. Um, masculinity in the in the body and like in this group it's presented as like um this immense tragedy that you know a man should lose his testicles or lose some of his sexual functioning which yeah that would th- yeah. that's sad and that's you know devastating for anyone um but but like later there's there's another scene where like they they threaten somebody by threatening to, to cut off the testicles and as opposed to like the hands or something or the eyes <laughs> right. and there's yeah, there is kind of this way that, um, like, the the vitality, virility of a, of a man um, is really closely interwoven with sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, um, which, again, I mean, we're, we're sexual beings, sex is fine, but maybe we could say, if we're, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, what is toxic, what, what are the toxic elements, um, or when we... When we look at like a, a more toxic representation of masculinity, one of the components could be like maybe an over-exaggerated view of sexuality right. or an over-exaggerated uh, importance of that. Yeah, it's brought up uh, um, several times that losing your testicles is a huge tragedy. And again, it is a part yeah. of your body, and having any right. part of your body removed could be a f- an effect on you. But in this group, it make all these men feel like less of a man. They don't feel fully yes. ma- men anymore because they're missing their testicles due to testicular yeah. cancer, which is by no right. fault of their own. It's really right. sad and great that they survived it, but now they don't feel like real men. And yes. I want to, yeah, I want to bridge. So, so this, there's this one fun scene where he's like talking about his his little IKEA castle, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's funny. I, I, the IKEA reference seems like it's one of those things that could be really dated, although I don't really think so. I, I think that's only like rich and, and deepened over the years. Oh yeah, but um, but um, I think the other main the one of the other really major themes in this movie has to do with like consumerism and just like things and 
kind of the, our our hero antihero is like starting baseline is like he just surrounded himself with all of this stuff 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 yeah all of the ikea stuff all of the pretty trendy stuff he bought all of the things he thought he should have um and yet clearly something's wrong he can't sleep he has insomnia spoiler he has dissociation but um <laughs> but uh but but it does set up this interesting counterpart as we're talking about like what makes the man what makes um what adds to like the virility of a person i wonder i sometimes wonder if um we if we we have this inherent sense of lack or this inherent sense of unworth and so then just try to fill it with other stuff mm -hmm. maybe sucks maybe intensity maybe violence or maybe just things right and you figure you distract yourself with enough things and you won't feel like the aching void within yeah that's my theory well yeah because right the just recently a podcast started called the rise and fall of mars hill and they're talking about mark driscoll and he had a they played a part of a sermon that really kind of resonated with me even though i don't like him at all i don't i think he's really toxic i think he has really twisted views of sex and uh what a man should be but there's a reason why a person like mark driscoll and jordan peterson resonate so much with men and I do think that there is an actual problem in men who do nothing all day. They play video games all day. They really, and they do feel an emptiness inside that they don't have a mentor, a guide, anybody to teach them. I do think that that's a real problem, but I think that it's an oversimplification that these kinds of people come up with the idea that oh it's feminism that's destroying manhood it's you know it's women it's you know our the wussification of society and they really t like it's a it's a huge oversimplification to blame the ob like you know the very simple group of women or liberals or you know <laughs> and right. when it's yeah. much deeper than that but i mean that is a problem that a lot of men are feeling you know, they feel lost. They don't feel like any that there's any guidance. And these men kind of speak to them in that emptiness. I think so. Well, I, I would agree. I mean, we have a we have a culture that I mean, we're surrounded by by violence. We're surrounded by you know media. We're surrounded by like a lot of, just a lot of chaos. And it's also a culture where in in a lot of in a lot of spheres we've rejected the immaterial we we've rejected the spiritual we've re rejected the divine mm. uh, by and large in all forms and yeah. and in in that we have kind of rejected our, our telos our our purpose and the things that give us meaning you know to mm -hmm. live in just a material world has no ultimate anything and so uh which you know foreshadowing some of the themes that come up in, in this movie like as the fight clubs develop and become their own thing um we can maybe say it's we could say it's a, it's a depiction of of men who have reached the limit of what the world the immaterial or they reached the limit of what the material only consumerist capitalist world can offer them and right. are needing something 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 more than themselves yeah and and yeah you get any any uh any any charismatic figure who's going to say here's purpose here's cause and they're going to get a following because they're they're offering something that people inherently need, mm -hmm. and and at that point, I mean, there's a lot of potential for abuses of all sorts to happen at that point. Um, but then, which, which is kind of sad because I mean, in a sense too. I mean, when you think about like, well, I mean, what is what is the Christian faith? I mean, that's what that is. It's like saying, uh, you know, where you know, 
you know, Christ is saying, I want, you know, let's unite the human and the divine, let's unite heaven and earth and and embark on this process of, of theosis, of, of becoming becoming like God and, and salvation. And um, and that's, I mean, you could say that's like the prototype and like the, like the fullness of it all. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of other, you know, imitations of that. Yeah. Well. And yeah, I think it's really easy, especially in a consumeristic society, you know, where pleasure can take the place of that or either numb it for a while, you know, which is why this movie is talking about how like materialism is, you know, so attractive and sex and pornography and all these things become the thing that you use to at least numb that, that feeling of emptiness. And Mm -hmm. it's easy to go into those directions video games, especially, you know, also it's really easy to spend hours and hours on playing video games. Again, nothing wrong with video games, nothing wrong with playing games and, you know, being a part of community there. But if that's all you do, then it does become a problem, but it's easy to Mm -hmm. fall into those traps. You know, it's easy Mm -hmm. to go in that direction because you don't have the thing that you need. There's an emptiness inside and, so yeah, and again, like you said, like it's easy for other people to prey on that, and that's yeah. why. And again, it's it's anger is easier than joy and happiness, and you know, so. it's definitely easier than sadness. Uh, I mean, I talk with a lot of a lot of the people that I work with. Uh, you know, there's well, there'll be like this layer of like acting out behaviors beneath that. We'll find here's a layer layer of anger eroticized anger, all of that stuff. And always beneath that, there's this layer of grief, mm-hmm. this deep-seated ancestral grief. Right. Um, which, yeah, uh, I'll give a brief shout-out to, to a colleague, you know, Dr. Sophia Cottle. She writes about the concept of original grief. And it's, you know, going back to, you know, even before, like, like adult traumas and everything, like, this, like, a grief of, like, like, it, like, it, like the attachment level, like, in the, in the, I didn't get emotional nurture level, uh, like, Griefs like that that tend to become the core, like all of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was I was um, <laughs> remembering the movie. They're introducing the Marla Singer character. She's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> also, also she's she's Helena Bonham Carter, and that she's just one of the best people. <laughs> I know, um, and I, it's really, I appreciate her very much. Yeah, but it's a really tragic story, also, because they imply that she was raped as a child, and. You know, she's she's self-destructive and she hates herself. And there's a reason why they both kind of are attracted to one another because they give each other a little bit of life, a little bit of purpose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking about distractions, so there's this thing where uh, there's there's this dynamic to addictions counseling where, or especially because because I my primary focus is with uh, sexual addictions, compulsive sexual behavior, pornography addiction, and everything, um, which. Technically, they can't diagnose pornography addiction. They can just call it problematic, but that's uh, mm. clinical drama. Anyway, <laughs> um, so a lot of people will confuse intensity for intimacy. Like the intensity of here's this big sexual encounter, this emotional drama, this romance. Uh, they can be like all of this intensity, but without any actual intimacy, any actual knowing. And... I guess we could say, I mean, the, the relationship that develops whether between uh, Marla and, you know, the Jack Tyler duo is um, very intense, very just chaotic, very volatile. Mm. 
but without like any real knowing of each other like none, none, none of them ever really get vulnerable with each other so we could say it's not an intimate relationship by any means hmm. and because of that like also not very stable <laughs> but but it yeah but then thinking about what do we do to distract ourselves that's a dynamic to pay attention to is when are we um seeking intensity of some sort when really what we want is connection we really want the security of being of knowing and being known by another person mm-hmm. so and i don't know if you can answer this question but that that brings up a really interesting thing in my head is i've been I've dated women uh, before I was a Christian. Uh, I dated like people do. And I, there was these, the, a few, very few people that we had this intense chemistry. The moment we met, there's like fireworks and crazy intensity, but we had nothing in common. And we really didn't, you know, and it was all like, you know, I, physical, let's say. Uh, but, yeah. And we wouldn't break up. Because that was so strong, but we were toxic. We didn't get along. There was a lot of fighting, but we wouldn't break up because of that connection. And there's this uh, magazine that's, uh, I don't know. The, in a magazine, there was once an article where if you ask a stranger 20, these 35 questions, you will, you know, form a really strong connection with somebody. And the questions are pretty intimate, pretty, you know, personal. And I'm wondering if that's what that kind of thing creates. If you, for example, experience a tragedy with somebody or like a really intense experience with somebody, like a car accident with somebody you mm-hmm. don't know, that kind of forms a connection between mm-hmm. two people. Does that happen? Is that, a, is that what we're yeah. talking about? Uh, it could be, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I mean, you're talking trauma bonds there. Um, there's a rush that goes with, quick vulnerability and quick disclosure. You know, there's a rush of discovering, hey, this person's beautiful. This person likes the same thing I do. They laugh. I can make them laugh. Uh, they make me feel virile and, and strong. And yeah, they're, what we say is, you know, in the situations like you described, you know, we might theorize that there's this rush of infatuation. Uh, you know, mm. I'm, I'm, high, I'm high on romance. I'm high on infatuation, high on limerence. And, uh, and there's all that. And it's easy to... A, normalize intense emotion as normal. Or in like the case of like, you know, Marla Marla and Jack to normalize chaos and, you know, even abusive violence because that that often happens if that's been in in your development. Um, All all of that is different than what what I would say is like the like the neurologically functional intimacy. It's what it's this term uh, attunement where it's based on, it, it, it can be very calm. It's very much like um, we're making eye contact. I'm aware of your feelings. I'm showing my feelings. I'm able to reflect back to you your feelings without any judgment to it. Um, we're able to, I'm able to you know, respond to you in like a nurturing sort of way. Um, that's like the neurological basis of, like, of empathy and, and being fully present with the person. And um, I would say that's, that's the basis for, for intimacy. And it's these, these Moments like that strung together over time, and yes, the 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 exchange of here's information about you, here's information about me, that certainly becomes part of it. And and so yeah, and so you have couples who are able to practice this over a long time. They have both the the noetic, I know things about you, knowledge, as well as the the auto noetic, like I'm experiencing you in the moment, hmm. uh, very well, sort of levels. Um, that's more what intimacy is, and it's not going to be 
super super wild all the time. I mean, there's going to be conflicts, of course, but but it's very different than this sort of like, ah, oh, I fell in love really fast, and then I fell out of love, and we break up every night, and so. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Just learned a lot, little yeah. bit about myself there. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad. Uh, okay. So Jack wants bowel cancer. Um, so this is a really mm. funny scene where so both uh, Jack and Marla, they, their, their thing, their, their, their hobby, their addiction has been going to support groups. Mm-hmm. Neither of them have any of the issues and they're part of the, the twist is, uh, you know, Jack doesn't have any of the issues. But he goes to them anyway, and he says, like, if I don't say anything, if I don't introduce myself, if I don't give my real name, people just assume the worst. And they, they get they get high off of crying, off of hugs, off of that kind of, like, pseudo-intimacy that can happen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so so Jack's a fraud in there, but he's, like, fine with it until he sees Marla. And she kind of gives it away when, like, she shows up smoking at, like, a testicular cancer survivor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so... And there's this thing of like, you're a fake. No, you're a fake. Ah, F you. So anyway, so they start divvying up the support groups. I think, I think, um, I guess the note I want to drop uh, is commenting on support groups versus like the movie depictions of support groups. Right. Because uh, <laughs> I, th- I think as a, I think as a counselor, I'm always like in response to like movie depictions of like counselors and support groups. Sure. Say. Uh, so... So don't you know? Don't judge a support group by what you see in Fight Club, because these are a little bit exaggerated and kind of goofy. In all functional reality, like a lot of support groups, offset meetings, smart recovery, you know, a whole bunch of these others are really good and yeah. really vital. And I mean, especially for people who uh, are, are outside the church, like this is sometimes like the quickest and most reliable way to establish community. And hmm. And it can be really vital. So all that to say, if you know you've, if maybe the listener is knows in themselves they they could use a support group like that, but they are reluctant because they seem like Fight Club or something, some other movie depiction where it's like kind of goofy and exaggerated. I'd say go to one in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or go or more likely go to go to go to like you know five or six different ones in real life. Get a get a sampling. Yeah, uh, and and then if you have bad experiences there, then you can then you can write it off. But yeah, but it's likely that if you go to you know a, a few, you, you'd be able to find one that you can. Um, you go over time, you develop relationships. Yeah, Good. yeah, it's um, really it's really strange how uh, pop culture depicts, like you know, therapy and support groups and stuff like that. Like I heard that after, oh, gosh, I don't even remember. There was a movie. Where, where like the whole movie was about going to therapy and there was another one like the, the sopranos and people started going to therapy wanting that breakthrough like right away that breakthrough emotional right. crying moment and they're like well that doesn't really work like that we have to work through yeah. things and you might not ever get that because you might not need that but it's really yeah. just a personal discussion and trying to you know sift through your your brain your emotions yeah. and but because pop culture depicts them in such a weird way it's uh you know it 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 kind of does a does does something wrong a a disservice to the therapy and counseling yeah well same with uh you know conversion stories too i mean the you know you know in media well what what makes good stories is drama and intensity so in in a story yeah you want the 
the breakthrough moment in therapy. You want the, you know, road to Damascus conversion. You want the super high emotion and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in reality, though, like you have to work for those. And, yeah. and that's and that would be the thing to think to remember going into counseling is that um, essentially as a counselor, essentially what I'm what I the service, the product I'm providing is a relationship. You know, I am I am the service I'm providing is creating a healthy relationship space in which you can be attuned to do reflection and, and everything o- over time. And so the the proper expectation for therapy is to plan on being there a while at least as long as your insurance will cover up <laughs> yeah um and do plan on having a lot of sessions that are kind of just ordinary kind of just we talk to things i feel some feelings uh maybe sniffle a little bit but like like the like the breakthrough moments where like you do like break down weeping like a that doesn't happen for everybody and sometimes it happens after like a year or two of like hard reflective labor so or 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 if, or it might happen, you know, the first day. I mean, if people do that too, yeah. Um, all that other to say. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess if we're commenting on like uh, healthy relationships versus not, you know, a healthy relation in a healthy relationship, one should plan for a lot of really ordinary, unremarkable <laughs> moments, <laughs> punctuated by bursts of uh, radical conflict or something. Right. <laughs> So in, in the movie here, we have Tyler Durden being introduced. Again, uh, our, the narrator, Jack, he, you know, it's more of him talking about how he lives his life materialistically, basically, uh, how everything is single serving, single serving, because he stays in hotel rooms, he goes on flights all the time, everything is single serving, single serving toothpaste, uh-huh. and toothbrush, single serving coffee, single serving friends. friends. Yeah. And yeah, he talks about the people he meets as single serving friends. And, uh, yeah. Also, I really love how just time capsule. So when they exchange numbers, they do it on paper. Right. Exactly. Which never happens. <laughs> also, also, I really love how there's no cell phones. In. Yeah. Like, they're like, they're always, they're still on landlines that are on cords. So you, that's how you can tell how old this movie is. <laughs> yeah. They, they actually dive over beds and over tables for the phone, for the, yeah, yeah, know, for yeah. the corded phone. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, there's a quote here where uh, one of them says, this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. Uh, so speaking again about what are the, the, the philosophies uh, in the story, there's uh, this exploration of like this existential nihilist. Um, and you kind of when you when you look at it, it there, there's a way that they're in a way, these characters are wrestling through despair and hopelessness and looking for a purpose and everything. And there, there can definitely be the sense that, yeah, I am a space monkey and my life is ending. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just like this fixation of like, there's death. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. And they, I mean, well, I mean, what they do later is they, they try to explore, well, if you embrace that, can there be freedom there? And... And what and I and I guess the the interesting philosophical trailhead there is to try to say yes and just embracing death and meaninglessness maybe I can just be freed from all constraints that there could be that which might be like the the parody of uh, you know Christian thought which is saying you know and and death is victory and suffering is salvation um, but that but in but in Christian thought that's in the context of well the the immaterial the spiritual world does exist and really matters yeah. So, like there are consequences for actions, whereas here there are no consequences because if you die, you die, and therefore nothing you do matters. 
and in this in Christianity, yeah, it does matter because there is an afterlife yeah. and there are consequences. Right. But and I'm a big Ecclesiastes guy. I my favorite book of the Bible. So my whole thing is, yeah, life doesn't matter. There's no purpose to life. Therefore, you have to work towards being happy in what you have. You know, the, this moment right now matters, which is what I think the point of Ecclesiastes is, is right now is what matters most of all. You are the center of the universe. Uh, you know, the person in front of you matters the most. And this moment is, is the most important moment of your life. Uh, again, not to say that I'm self-centered, but just the idea that trying to find meaning in life through a career, through having children, through your, you know, getting married like that, once you do that, you're going to feel fulfilled. That's not mm -hmm. true. Yeah. But there is, a, there is go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just interjecting. I mean, there is, um, oh, so, so parenthetically in the movie, this is where Jack comes home to his high rise apartment and is blown up. And I guess this is the hero's call to action. Like from here. Oh yeah. Uh, here's where he first experiences like major, major loss, mm -hmm. uh, which is, it's, it's a storytelling structure point. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but, but thinking about, uh, what, what is the purpose? Yeah. You're right. Um, I mean, Christian thought, you know, we don't find ultimate salvation, meaning uh, in like just the material, although, you know, the, the world is part of the salvation process also. Um, and in Orthodox specifically, Orthodox thought specifically, I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on, on the inner life, on the, uh, you know, you, you, you really prioritize saving yourself and be, becoming saved. And mm. there's this um, mystical way in which, um, that that becomes like salvation for the world. Uh, one of the great uh, saints in our tradition, uh, Saint Seraphim of Sarah, he's this quote of saying, you know, acquire the inner stillness, or acquire the inner peace. Essentially, like save yourself, and thousand around you will be saved. Which is definitely very different than some of this uh, more megachurch approach of like, I gotta save everybody and advertise and market <laughs> and have a have a Twitter campaign. Um, it's very much you no. Know, if if you can become calm and centered and find find God within you then that that is that is your route to salvation like hmm. the, the way way the way out is in <laughs> yeah um and and in that I mean part of what we observe observe over history at least in my tradition too is uh you know the these people who they they do acquire some of that peace some of the holiness and and people are drawn to them there, there's another, uh, you know, story of uh, Saint uh, Sergei Savradinich. He's a Russian. He was a Russian monk, and he initially went out into like the furthest forest in Russia to like be up, be alone, and to just you know pursue his, uh, his monastic labors there. Uh, but then after a while, like other other monastics started like finding him and flocking to him, and then other people, other lay people also where nowadays, you know, several hundred years later, there's a thriving city in that area where this holy man first was. And so it's kind of this way that like, like true holiness draws people to itself mm -hmm. without even, without even, even trying. And a lot of these holy people were trying to escape people, but like people follow them anyway. Right. Yeah. And we even see this with, with Jesus too. Oh, like yeah. there, there's sometimes when he's like trying to get away from people, but because, <laughs> because he is, because he's Jesus, he's holy, you know, people people follow that because I guess in some sense we have a sense of like, Hey, this is this good thing that we need. We're going to just go there. Yeah. That's a really good way. Yeah. 
And I, I should mention, I, just a second, when I was talking about the ecclesiastical thing, uh, the idea that having a child, having kids and having a wife, getting married, uh, that doesn't give your life purpose. That, what I meant by that is <laughs> the world gives you the notion that once you do that, whatever it is, whatever goal you reach, that your life is going to feel like accomplished. And after a while, that feeling goes away because yeah, there is no end point. The point of having a family is having a family. It's not having a child. It's being a father or a mother. It's not about getting married. It's about being married and being, you know, with your partner, enjoying your station in life. Not you're not going to feel feel fulfilled once you accomplish something, which is what I think the point yeah. of Ecclesiastes is. It's being yeah. happy where you are and striving to do better. Yes, but being content with what you have as opposed to, you know being remembered throughout history or which is i think a lot of men have this uh existential yeah. breakdown the the idea that you know i'm going to be forgotten and what's what what's my legacy and there is no legacy you're just yes. going to live and right. die like the rest of us so be happy yeah. with what you have yeah uh, yes uh <laughs> definitely a message of ecclesiastes uh and a message of fight club <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> well, so okay so, so where, where we're at so this is a scene where uh brad pitt and edward norton they're they, they they've met they've mm -hmm. decided we're gonna hang out we're gonna be friends so now they're in a bar talking about um why do we know what a duvet cover is like what's happened to us and right it's, you know starting to um there's, it's starting to show that like maybe um the interactions between like uh, masculinity and anger where you know you have a they're living in a toxic society that leads to the creation but simultaneous depression of anger and you know combine that with consumerism and isolationism you got nihilism and despair and then the only thing left is you know shock value violence sensuality <laughs> the next person to hate on um tyler says we are consumers and i mean he's kind of got a point yeah. uh I mean, again, you live in a world that takes out like the divine and the symbolic and the material, and kind of all you have left is like being a consumer or who, you know, uh, and moves on. Um, yeah, because like we were talking about before, you mentioned that Edward Norton, <clears throat> he gets purpose in life by buying things, by buying, by being a good consumer, and his apartment just blew up. All of his possessions just burst into a, you know, a big ball of fire. And so now he's with Tyler and Tyler's telling him, yeah, that's not where life is. That's not, you know, right. we've been molded to want this stuff. And that's, and of course we're going to walk around miserable and aimless. Right. So here, this is the part where uh, Tyler Durden is telling Jack, well, okay. So there's, here's one of the graphic scenes where they talk. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. introduces um, uh, Tyler as this person who like splices like pornography into like family movies because anyway, which again is maybe just kind of going again for like I don't I don't know if this is like going for like shock value or just like being super irreverent or just uh, I don't know showing like I don't know like mis yeah. like <laughs> senseless mischief just it's it's a really prominent theme here which which again I mean if you factor out any sort of like purpose or overarching meaning and if you reject all like higher authorities then why not? I mean, why why not mess with people in this way? Because right. if there's no point, well, you know, why not? But um, but anyway, as they go back to the scene, so they they've also they're coming out of a bar, and they're talking about 
materialism in their lives. And then uh, Tyler says to, to Jack, you know, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. And this leads to some, some back and forth. And then he asks this really interesting question. How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? I don't want to die without any scars. Um, which, uh, I don't know. There's a lot here. A, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> this is a very antithetical to like the spirit of the martyrs or even to the Lord Jesus who would say, you know, like, you know, turn the other cheek or like these, these martyrs who, you know, very much like willingly got arrested. Almost, like, yeah. Or like even like invite, invite, invite torture and suffering as a means of like saying like, I want to strengthen my soul and have like, you know, spiritual victory. And in a sense, like, violence humbly accepted is like spiritual violence against like you know the, the demons and all of that mm. um but um but but i guess there is a there's an interesting way here too i mean thinking what what are uh, toxic versions of masculine versions of masculinity um we emphasize sex we emphasize violence in or or i think when when sex and when violence conquests and things get overemphasized in men that's where it starts to turn like what we think we think of as toxic yeah um and so as, as i'm watching this i'm i'm thinking how maybe this scene could be depicting that but but i'm but i'm also wondering about some of those deeper things like um like initiation or uh you know part of how how the tyler durden character interacts with pain and with suffering is for him it's it's liberation like you know he discovers something about himself or discovers kind of a resilience through it or right like once he can be okay with pain at that level he can be okay with anything and so kind of becomes invincible by being by becoming broken mm. um yeah which well because i know in, go ahead sorry <laughs> oh yeah i was just i mean in the way that it's presented here in the movie i mean there's kind of this really irreverent feel to it but I mean, spiritually speaking, I mean that's that's a reality. I mean, if we, you know, suffering is our salvation in a lot of ways, mm. and you know, when we can embrace that and you know allow for that, you know, if I have space for the suffering in my life, then I kind of have space for anything and anyone. Uh, yeah, and then I can be relentlessly kind. Because mm. well, there is the oh, I had something and lost it anyway. But. Um, the because this kind of thing is getting a lot more popular or has been it's been for a few decades now uh in evangelical christianity this manhood being tough and i remember i played football in high school freshman year and i didn't want to and which is interesting because i was a punk rocker when i was a kid i had no problem oh, yeah i had no problem jumping into a mosh pit and jumping around and pushing and getting shoved and slammed into people but when i got on the football field i got real scared i just <laughs> for some reason one was okay and not the other but in the mosh pit it wasn't about hurting other people it was about getting out aggression and if you fall people picked you up and it wasn't as for some reason i felt more comfortable there but i remember one of the first times i got into a line uh, during football, I got hit real hard. You know, the football, the quarterback said hike. I got hit. I got mowed down. And then the guy stood over me and said, this is my house. Oh, this is my, get out of my house. Whatever men do. And I'm like, oh, I get it. You need this. This is what you need. I, I don't need this. I have my own thing. I have comic books and punk rock music. I'm fine. But <laughs> you, But you need yeah. this. And so I do think that I'm trying to think like because it's easy 
to be the the tough aggressive Christian guy and say no real men hunt and real men you know like violence and then it's easy mm-hmm. to you know rebel against that and say no you're wrong and there's nothing you know real mm-hmm. Christianity is about you know peacefulness and love and stuff as opposed mm-hmm. to just the idea that maybe some men do like are more aggressive and that's okay you know yeah yeah no you're right i mean and i mean somewhere else we're talking about the danger of making blanket blanket statements about everybody are saying you know you know it's all this person's fault it's all the feminist fault whatever uh you know men are tough men are not tough hey you know we probably do ourselves a favor by allowing for a much more complex view of what things are and to say yeah i mean i mean yeah like some men hunt, some men fish, some men work on cars, some men write books, some men are actors, you know, some, you yeah. know, whatever. Uh, and allowing, I, I think where, where we might go wrong is to, again, like, take a, uh, over-exaggerate one or more parts of a man. Or right. over-exaggerate one or more aspects of, of what it could be at, at the exclusion of others. And it'd be, um, which, I mean... I'm learning a little bit about this uh, clinical framework called internal family systems. Mm-hmm. Talk about like there, there's like a core self, and then there's like these different parts or personas or aspects of us, and and what we see is, uh, you know, like I have like a logical part or a critical part or an analytical part or an emotional part or a fear part or an anger part or like you know a handful of like you know little boy teenage boy parts. Um, you know, any one of those becomes exaggerated and takes the lead, and then mm. yeah, you're gonna look toxic in a way because you're imbalanced or i guess maybe this is something like you know uh what the enneagram tries to show us too is you know uh here's a trait that's been disproportionately exaggerated i am the bearded man in flannel with an axe who hunts you know versus <laughs> you know i have a man who likes pink and glitter and i like poetry whatever i mean we could say in, in both of those cases they're just exaggerated people like yeah you bring both of those people back into balance, and yeah, they're going to be different, distinct, um, but not bad. I mean, it's not bad to do any of those things, right? By any means, it just you do anything out of balance, and mm-hmm. it gets problematic. Yeah, and it becomes a problem when you start telling people that, like, no, this is what Jesus was. He was an aggressive, tough, violent person, and if you're not that, then you're not a real man. Or to say right. that there's no room for that in Christianity, because Jesus is always peaceful and loving. Like, right. there were warriors in the Bible, there were writers, there were, I mean, Paul yeah. made tents. With, you know, he he did, he wasn't exactly yeah. the warrior, but, you know. Right. Or looking at the saints, I mean, you have, you know, you have, you have martyrs, you have virgin martyrs, you have warriors, you have aesthetics, you have, you have theologians, you have, you know, bishops who died peacefully in old age. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a full range of things. Um, oh, so there's there's a line uh, I want to comment on. So oh. so Tyler and Jack in the movie they're they're in their flop house, uh, which I want to talk about at some point. But um, they're talking about father wounds. Yeah. And angry at the fathers, fathers abandon them. Tyler makes this comment that um, oh I wrote it down somewhere. Um, he says I can't get married. I'm a 30 year old boy. We're a generation raised by women. I'm wondering if another woman is really the answer we need. Um, and I honestly, I don't think this is a dig at women. No, um, no, it's not. It can, it can sound that way. I think it's more, it's more a criticism of absent men, mm-hmm. fathers in particular, uh, and uh, not, not at all. And again, in the in the complexity of things, you know, a kid needs 
the full range of humanity to to raise him or her. So you know, in in a heteronormative context, that would be you know they need they need a man and, and a woman to teach them manly and womanly things, or how to bring out like the masculine and the feminine that that is within them mm-hmm. in in whatever way. Uh, you know, and, you know, adjust that per, you know, other family structure, you know, multiple moms or dads or just multiple parents, you know, but, but a kid still needs from somewhere the full range of humanity. And, and in, in this case, the, I mean, these, these characters are reflecting on the absence of, uh, of that, of that, that manliness or that sense of a man can nurture me or I can receive nurture, have intimacy with another man. Um, I think if that is present, that solves a lot of things. I mean, for, for men, for men in particular. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Um, the, you mentioned something in the podcast that you did on masculinity about how, um, being, you know, being mocked or punished for not knowing for not having a dad who taught you things. And yeah. a lot of pastors from the pulpit, they lament how there's no men aren't, you know, a lot of young boys don't have mentors. Their fathers aren't around to teach them and how sad it is that our society has young men who don't have a guide or a leader. And then they get off the pulpit and they mock men for not knowing how to fix a car, how to use power right. tools. Uh, number one, yeah. first of all, like that makes a real man, right. like knowing how to fix right. a car. But yeah. on one oh. point they say that it's... Oh. Sorry, sorry. No, please. So, so I got, I got to highlight. So, so this, this is the famous scene that always gets quoted in oh, yeah. all of, like the youth group game events, where he's like, "The first rule of Fight Club is you not to not talk about Fight Club. The second rule, et cetera, et cetera." So, sorry, just gotta celebrate that moment because oh, yeah. that's like the one that always it's, gets relived. Yeah, it's iconic. Very but, much so. But yeah, it's and so it's kind of like I've I've seen both. I've been to churches and they're like, "Yeah, young men really need a man in their lives to guide them," and then I, you know after like at some other point speaking with that pastor or that speaker saying ah oh, young men today they don't know what the you know they don't know how to be real men and like kind of making fun of not directly at me but they mean me because i'm in this group for not knowing how to use power tools for not knowing yeah. and my dad did teach me how to do that and so it's it's this real weird yeah. twisted kind of idea that they're perpetuating that yes yes also, a funny, funny movie trivia moment. So one of the one of the guys that's fighting now, um, uh, uh, Ian Bailey, he later grows up to be like a grown up version of Pinocchio in the series Once Upon a Time, which <laughs> is a great series because it's like kind of like real, you know, all of the fairy tales put it, you know, put into real life. Be like, what's the real story? And what if like <laughs> things went terribly wrong in uh, Neverland, etc. Um, so that that's kind of fun seeing Pinocchio as a Fight Club monkey, but um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think that if we're going to talk about what is, how to help men and be healthier, um, being very mindful of language, so being very careful of what we call like a real man or like truly, truly manly or, or anything like that, being, being, being very careful what we, what we celebrate or not, um, uh, you know, not to, not to say, um, Again, not to say, you know, anything's wrong with, like, football and mechanics or being, like, a Calvin Klein model or anything like that. Sure. But just, like, um, but, but just recognizing um, uh, men are complex. Like, women are complex. Like, like people are complex. And um, uh, so, so they're, um, 
the the characters they're they're on a bus looking at a like like a Gucci ad about this like male model in his underwear and everything, and they're asking like, oh, is that what a man looks like? Um, <laughs> which again, I, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is it would be good to have a sense of what what actually are the parameters of, of manhood, mm-hmm. and or at least keep that as a as a little bit of an open discussion because you know I mean I, I would say there's something distinct about men. I mean, sure, know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm fine saying yeah, men, men and women are different. <laughs> yeah, and that, well. That's fine. I mean, they, there's, there's there's a lot of overlap in what they can do and how they can present and everything. And I mean, they they should get paid equally and they can do a lot of the same jobs and everything. Yeah. But but like on a on an internal on a spiritual level, I mean, there there is something different. And so I feel like uh, you know expanding the parameters of manhood beyond has muscle, beyond has lots of sex, beyond breadwinner. Uh, it would be helpful. I mean, all of those things can happen, but like, you know, can this guy also talk about feelings? Can he also, can, can he work hard and persist whether or not that is with his hands or with his mind? Mm-hmm. I think that could be a helpful way to look at these things. Yeah, I, I find it really interesting that um, churches, you know, pastors of churches always warn about not letting society, like, influence you. The world can influence you and look at things the wrong way. God is the way and he's the guide. But then their idea of masculinity, of manhood, of, you know, what a man should do is very much influenced by society. And Mm. unfortunately, I think right now, hearing what some of these, you know, pastors like Mark Driscoll describe what a woman should do for their man in the bedroom there, you know, mm-hmm. how like there's, I think the Mark Driscoll one is the most popular one. I keep bringing him up, but yeah. he talks about how women should act for their what they should do for their husbands. If he demands yeah. sex, he sh- she should do it. If she if he wants her to do things that she's not comfortable yeah. with, she should do it. And it's very similar. the The women, the wives that they're describing, are very much like the women in pornography. It, it yeah. is that yeah. kind of like you know submissive you know, does whatever, you know, is very sexually has, you know, hungry. And it's weird that I think that that's where they're getting this from. They're having, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. You can tell a lot about a guy, about what kind of porn he watches. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Speaking of which, so, so talking about sex. So this is, we're getting to the point where Achilles and Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange are about to have sex. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, the one sex scene, um, which again, graphic, graphic content warning. Sure. Um, but um, but it, we it would be good to talk about sex, sex and masculinity. Um, so the way the scene happens, that's about to happen. It's very much this like fever dream, intense, like all night. Like uh, I don't know. Like <laughs> uh, I mean, like the, the character wakes up the next day and like finds you know like you know four condoms in the toilet, and I'm like, I mean, hey, like who does that? Who, I mean, who does that sober? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I mean, you throw in some meth, and anything can happen. But um, but again, I think what we're looking at is um, yeah, what like how how does pornography impact masculinity? How does the sexual norm presented in media affect our concept of sexuality. Um, you know, how does, you know, we, we often cite, you know, locker room talk, 
uh, um, but, but all all of these things, I think they they, they create this very uh, these very exaggerated expectations of what sexuality should be. As again, it's very like intensity based. Go all night. You know, your manhood is only as good as your cock is big, and um, it sets this really unhealthy precedent for what sex is or should be. And it, I think it leads to what you were talking about too, of like, uh, on some level, you know, even in like a Christian Christian context or whatever, still objectifying a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll, we'll find ways to like spiritualize it and, and be like, you know, oh, like I'm, a, I'm only having sex with my wife, so that that's cool. But like, but you're right. I mean, it's very easy to still be like, you know, physically aggressive, emotionally demanding, not really present or like not really empathetic. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, I, I do think that, uh, pornography has influenced Christians in a really, really negative way. And it's affecting women. It's affecting men. It's in the, you know, when a pastor says that a wife should act like a porn star and not directly saying that, but describing one, basically, it's it's hard not to assume that yeah. they've they've been influenced by pornography. Yeah, that, I think maybe. Yeah, maybe I think some of the some of the damaging things are the things that don't get talked about. Like, oh yeah, and so so maybe, maybe this is maybe this is all going on in the crazy place that it, that is my own mind. But <laughs> I, this, I I have this implicit sense that all of the other guys are having lots of sex. They are really attracted to their partners that their sex life is great and vibrant and that because I'm not having like all of that hot sex, something's wrong with me or I'm sure. lesser or, you know, I mean, this came up in high school, like, you know, uh, you know, the guys who had the, the, the hot girlfriends, they, they were cool. You know, the guys who were kind of interested in the fat girl, they got ridiculed, um, which is problematic on so many levels. Um, but, um, but there, there, I, I feel like there, there's this implicit idea going on that, of course you're going to be having sex multiple times a week and uh, something's wrong if you're not having lots of sex. And, and I, I've even gotten that from, from other Christian guys who like, they, I mean, they hear about like a stretch of like weeks or months where like I hadn't had sex with my wife and, and they'd be like, so alarmed. They'd be like, dude, are you okay? That's a problem. We got to address that. And, you know, have you talked to her? I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, I've talked to her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but there doesn't seem to be room even in Christian circles for, going without sex or going without pleasure or, or going without that intensity. So, and again, and then because that unspoken, and again, <laughs> tell me if this is just me and then I'll no, no, recant it all. Ahead, but yeah. No, yeah, but, uh, oh, that idea. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, it absolutely isn't. Uh, because I mean, especially, and again, uh, this is how much media affects us. When I was a kid, I watched you know the all the teen romance comedies you know the girl falls in love with the nerd the girl falls in love with the nerd and all he has to do is just be persistent be persistent and eventually she'll fall in love with you and that's not real life but we think that it is and again with pornography it leads that's why i think there's this like this incel movement these men who think that women refuse to have sex with them and uh-huh. so I think it is based on the fact that they believe that pornography is real life. Everyone else is having uh-huh. sex except for me. Everyone else is right. dating except for me. And therefore, yeah. there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with women. 
you know right. and that's just right and that's just accelerating as our lives move more and more online like i mean the way technology is i mean especially this past year i mean i heard one uh i had one, one lady talking about how yeah we can live our lives with um like you know with our with our phones we can buy products we can get food we can find a mate um uh so there's there's not any struggle or there's not any labor that needs to happen for that and so um, and that's all happening in this context of we're in this really technology-driven world, and we're on our screens all the time, and we don't have communities because we don't have causes, uh, or the communities we do have, they're based on, like, anger and everything. So, yeah, you get all, you get these guys, these younger guys who have grown up playing video games, grown up watching TV, um, haven't really been taught, haven't, maybe haven't seen modeled, here's how men and women interact, or here's how, like, men and men, women and women interact in healthy ways uh you know a lot of people their sex education is primarily through porn or, or if not porn through media romance mm -hmm. and that's not real life and so yeah you have all of these real life people trying to enact in real life this non-real approach to relationships and sex and wouldn't you know it they're kind of depressed about it because it's not working <laughs> oh anyway yeah um yeah so so there's this like ongoing scene in the movie where jack is really frustrated with tyler because tyler and marla have gotten together jack doesn't like marla like jack wants tyler tyler wants marla marla wants jack and so there's, there's just this chaotic love triangle but like the the mood of this is like you have like tyler and marla you know, having sex really loudly, like in the background of like mm -hmm. a lot of scenes, which again, it's just like, I think adding to this flair of like, this is the kind of sex we're going to celebrate and normalize. Yeah. Like ridiculous, ridiculously unreal bloated <laughs> version of, of what sex is as like, Oh, that's cool. Uh, and, and then, yeah. And, and, and even if logically we might recognize that as completely unreal, there's, there's a part of us that's like, Oh, but Brad Pitt's doing that. He has abs, and like you know, <laughs> if he if he's having sex like that, maybe maybe I should be. And something's wrong with me if I'm not having that. Uh, and and again, it just fuels into this inadequacy narrative that, that a lot of guys carry. I think. Yeah, and I think that that's been going on since the advent of television. I think that uh, we've heard like you know how in the fifties men and women, you know, married couples watched television and thought that's how life is. That's how life is. And so every single person on a block would act like their life was together, you know, because, you know, and so when your neighbor sees you, you know, or when you see your neighbor they they look like they're together. And then I watch television and like Lucy and, you know, Ozzy and Harriet, they have a perfect life. So my life must be messed up because my life isn't that perfect. So all I have, so now I have to pretend like my life is that perfect. And of course, what ends up happening is your neighbor sees you, they think that your life is perfect, and they think that they're the only ones whose lives are messed up. And it's really crazy how right. this window that we all put into our homes, you know, we think it's an actual window to the outside world when it's not. And it's hugely influencing on us. Yeah. Uh, the comparisons or living in a world the, as small as what you think other people expect you to be is rather dismal. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I want to talk a little bit about initiations a little bit. Okay. Uh, so there, there's a scene coming up 
it's it, it's the it's the liacine. Well, um, no, yeah. <laughs> well, also, so the, the so the so the, the uh, movie storytelling. So there's some foreshadowing going on where you know Tyler is like feeding dialogue into uh, Jack's character as he's like talking to people, um, but like, but also saying like like don't talk about me. And so it's it's this great little bit of like foreshadowing about kind of the, the the twist at the end. But but anyway, um, so there's a scene coming up as. Um, Tyler Durden is now making soap and teaching how to make soap and also how to like make explosives out of it, which <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's like completely real, but it's, it's fun for the movie. Um, but there's this scene where uh, Tyler essentially um, uses the, chem the chemical lie to give Jack uh, a chemical burn on his hand. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually this really beautiful scene in a way for it is, like, yeah. people as it is. Um, and um, it smacks of uh, rituals and initiation rites. And, and again, how it, um, how the Tyler Durden character uses it is like, this is your liberation or this is your moment or this is your moment to overcome something. And, uh, you know, we, I mean, we can, it's, it's maybe in deference or, you know, we could compare this to like other initiation rituals, but some other initiation rituals through, throughout the world. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of words have been written about this sort of thing. There's everything from like, you know, the Amish, you know, room springer to, you know, cow hopping to, you know, tower diving to like, you stick your hand in uh, a bucket of like, you know, fire ants or something. Um, do like you know, you know, male circumcision when you're a teenager, uh, you know, uh, a lot of things, and we could, and I, and I know I have, I, I've picked on some of those for being like based in like violence and aggression, and I actually, and now that I think about it, I'm, I'm maybe wanting to recant some of that because, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if those rituals really are saying violence is good or like pain is pain in itself self is to be celebrated I, I think what those rituals could be getting at is we need to struggle we need to have a sense of we've struggled and overcome something and now we are a, a fully mature person who has struggled and overcome and hmm. you know referencing our culture that's something that is diminishing quite a bit for for a lot of people uh, and again in our technology driven really luxurious lives struggle looks really weird for us like we have emotional struggle and there's like hard work we do. Uh, but like, there's kind of a way what, like, like when, when like the hardest work I do is like research something online and then like write about it or something. Um, that's intellectual struggle, but like, there's not really, I don't know. The, the effort is different. And some of these other rituals, they like the body gets really involved. And, and I think that might actually be really important to have hmm. like a physical, uh, an, an all out, like physical, emotional, psychological struggle, uh, and the sense of overcoming that, and you know how that affects you know men is like there's there's not a clear struggle point in to say you were a boy and now you're a man, and because we don't really have ritual for that. I mean right. we have I mean we have our rituals. We have our like I'm gonna go get drunk for the first time. I'm gonna go get laid for the first time. Uh, you know, start looking at porn. I mean, I'm gonna use drugs. I'm gonna move out, get my own flop house or something. Um, but 
but none of these really like connect you to anything. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, this, uh, I mean, the scene coming up where <laughs> with, with the chemical burn, well, actually I was going to say that doesn't connect the character to anything, but, but in a way it kind of does within the movie world. Like it because like uh, eventually as other, as other initiates come to this house, they get the same burn. They go through the same ritual, and there, there does develop this really tight community tradition around it. Hmm. So, I don't know. I guess, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just marveling on ritual. Yeah. I was actually—I mean, <laughs> you mentioned Jordan Peterson. I was actually curious. I'd be curious what people like, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Peugeot. I mean, they, they they do a lot of conversations together about like story and meaning and ritual and nature and, and sacrament. And I, I, I'd be curious <laughs> how they might read this too. Um, Cause it's like these characters who have no meaning. They're, they're coming from this place of meaninglessness, of empty despair. And the way that they go about finding meaning for themselves is highly laden with, with ritual mm-hmm. and, ritualistic suffering with the purpose of like overcoming and, and liberation through that um which in a really like brazen brash sort of way really like i think opens up a a, a wound in, in our society of like we're missing that yeah and we reject that in a lot of cases and that's part of what part of what i've really loved about um becoming orthodox is like we we embrace the ritual here um mm-hmm. and we we recognize like the, the these rituals are how we participate in the natures of god in the energy of God. And, you know, we, like, we go through the ritual of a baptism, the sacrament of baptism, the sacraments of the Eucharist, the sacrament of confession, and all of it becomes a way, yeah, of participating in the energies of God, becoming united with God, becoming united with the other, the other people, uniting heaven and earth. And, and again, you do that many times over time, you know, we change, we grow in that. And right. there's, um, those wounds begin to be filled in a really marvelous way. Yeah, um, because I don't know uh, your feelings on the your beliefs on this, but uh, in Catholicism, all these rituals are actual. Like the, there's a, you know, the Eucharist is actually the body of God, and it's actually the the blood of Christ. It's you know, there's some power in that thing, and the holy water is actually holy. And in evangelicalism, we don't have that. It's we don't think no, no. It's just a representation. It's just symbolism. But the important thing is that we do it. The fact that we're actually acting it out is what's important because we are visual people. We are you know we are physical beings. We are you know we practicing things actually helps us understand. And so. In evangelicalism, we do these things to remember, and it's important that we do them, as opposed to, you know, not doing anything and just reading the Bible and talking about it. It's important mm-hmm. to have ritual, to have community together, to eat this, you know, to watch, come together and to have a baptism, to participate mm-hmm. in this community, communal experience. Yeah. Yeah, it is really vital. And what I guess... Uh, from from my evangelical days, like what what was lacking was like the context or the meaning of it. Mm, uh, yeah. Like the like 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 the communion ritual. Like the a like a was different in every church, and so there's no real consistency and there's no real depth to it. And and when we say oh this is just a symbol, like you could kind of take it or leave it, and like it, like it doesn't really do anything. Like <laughs> I don't know. There's it's 
it's limiting or it, it doesn't fully meet the need. Um, in, in orthodoxy, yeah, I mean, we do believe that like sacraments have function. They are, you know, our, our salvation process is, is very tangible, very embodied. We, we participate in it. And so mm -hmm. when we say, yeah, like when I, when I'm baptized, something actually happens in that moment. It's why, it's why oh, yeah. it's needed. It's why, why we do it for, for infants because you know, this sacrament has benefit whether or not you understand it. The Eucharist, it mystically does become the body and blood of Christ. And mm -hmm. so good for you whether or not you fully understand it. And part of what happens in, in ritual is that, you know, in, in, in ritual time, ritual space, you know, we, we bring those old events into the future and, and they happen again. And so there's, there's a way that, you know, kind of how we understand like sacrament and ritual is like when we enter the Orthodox Church, when we begin the divine liturgy, you know, blessed is the kingdom, says the priest. Um, uh, and then, you know, we go through this journey to the Eucharist. We say, yes, we are, we are, we are literally entering the kingdom of God. We are literally partaking of the body and blood of Christ. We are literally participating in the resurrection of Christ all over again. Mm -hmm. And, um, and those things are, are very real. And we believe that, yeah, they, because they are, they are real and not just symbols. They, they, they heal us. They have an impact on us. And yeah, that's uh, that's that's a, that's a concept that's very 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 absent in a lot of these other uh, you know Protestant Protestant circles where just like oh you know whatever you want it to be. <laughs> right. And I mean, I'm being a little bit like exaggeratedly glib on purpose, but no, I mean, sure. But I, I I agree with you because I you know grew up you know I, I well I grew up Catholic. And then I became an evangelical, and I started going to like a regular evangelical church, and I really missed the, those rituals. And I just recently, in the last year, started coming to a Presbyterian church, and they do have a lot of those rituals. They have, um, what do we call, uh, we, we say the Apostles' Creed, we say the Our Father, and saying those things together in community really matters to me. It really affects me more than just, you know... Yeah, going to church and, you know, just singing some songs and then, which again, if that works for you, then that's beautiful. But for me, it really does motivate me more. It it connects me to God more, you know, reciting these things over and over again every week. You know, and again, not more than once in a week, but doing it weekly together as a community, it really affects me. Yes. So, and again, yeah, I, I don't I, think God I, I doesn't agree. like it, so... <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, I mean, this is how the early church, the early, mm -hmm. early church, the early, early church worship was liturgical. It was yeah. based off of a Jewish worship, which was modeled after worship in heaven. And so, uh, and that's what the, the Orthodox church has, has worked to preserve for the last, you know, 2000 years mm -hmm. is this, this sense of like, this, this is how God wants to be worshiped. So we do. Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it? I mean, the people who, who, who do it and stick with it. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's uh, a lot of healing. There's a lot of calming that goes with that. Yeah. And um, here we have a, a reintroduction, I should say, of uh, Bob. Uh, it, early in the movie, when he was going, when uh, the narrator, when Jack was going to, um, what would we call them, uh, the, the, um, the support groups. Yes. He was going to, a, you know, the testicular cancer support group where, all the men had had their testicles removed and they now have, you know, large doses of estrogen 
you know, which made them feel like uh-huh. less of a man. And, uh, you know, Meatloaf, uh, you know, he, he plays a character named Bob, who, because of all the estrogen, grew breasts. And so, uh, and now Bob, and so, and he cried the most. He was a bodybuilder. He took a lot of steroids. And then he lost everything because he started a business, a bodybuilding business that collapsed and his wife left him and everything. And on top of that, now he got testicular cancer. And now he found this yeah. fight club. And they're, you know, kind of reintroducing each other to this character of, you know, now this is his new club, his right. new group. And yeah. I had to, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, no. And now, and we keep every once in a while, we see these, this philosophy of Tyler Durden of, you know, basically just breaking down these men emotionally. You're nothing, you're scum, your society has, you know, made you into, you know, all, you know, I don't know, all singing, all dancing consumers. Mm -hmm. And it resonates with men. And I, 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 I gotta say, it sounds really familiar to a lot of these pastors who talk about how society is made you know, men very weak and feminine, not real men. And it's interesting, and I, I'll get to that for, you know, when he actually starts his uh, little army. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it's interesting you talk about, like, how, how people get broken down, because uh, in uh, in a lot of Protestant churches, there there's this doctrine of depravity, and how it gets presented a lot of times is, you know, you are wretched, you are scum, you are nothing, you can't trust yourself. Uh, you know, you don't deserve any good thing, and you're very lucky that you know Jesus loves you. That sort of thing, um, which <laughs> has this. It can have this effect of like really breaking a person down spiritually. And I mean, in, in the Orthodox Church, I mean, we don't have the doctrine of depravity. I mean, I mean, we definitely believe in sin. Sure, <laughs> that, sure, yeah. I mean, that happens, but but we're like, yeah, we're we are the image of God. We are icon. Yes, yeah. and so worthy of veneration, and like the image of God never goes away. It can be distorted and hidden, but it never goes away, mm-hmm. and that, that's important. Um, okay, so this is an interesting scene. So uh, the, the Fight Club is is in the basement. It's in their their their, their holy space, their their sacred space, really. Mm-hmm. Um, only they were squatting, and so now the owner Lou, the owner of the building, is coming in, and he's like this big fat gangster in a suit, uh, and he's essentially saying, "Y'all have to get out." Yeah, and, or and or the you have to pay rent if you're going to be you have using to pay the rent. space, yeah. right? Yes, um, and so uh, so so what happens is uh, you know Tyler Durden he um, he's he's he represents the group. He stands up to them, and um, he call, he calls Lou's bluff. They lose like threatening, like you know, hit him or something. And so and that's what that's what happens is uh, Lou starts. Pounding on on Tyler and you know blooding him up, blooding his face, and like beating beating him to a pulp. And Tyler's response is really fascinating because he doesn't fight back. Mm-hmm. He invites more of it. Right. And here's where um, and and in the and in the end of the scene, you know, he uh, when when he's at his bloodiest, he like. Right. He then that's when he like lunges at Lou and grabs him, throws him down, and like basically just like you know, you know, vomits and drools all over him. But he doesn't actually like hit him or hurt him. Right. And here's where I mean, this is almost like this is where it feels like kind of like a weird parody on 
for sure martyrdom uh, <laughs> or like how the way but I, although I doubt martyrdom was quite as orgasmic uh, Brad Pitt makes it to be sure um, but there's almost I don't know it's almost a weird parody on like the crucifixion where you know Tyler lets himself get trounced for the sake of preserving like the fight club space which for them I guess is their representation of like the, the kingdom and mm-hmm. then it's like his 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 death is our quote death or at least like his blood and guts become like the tools of his victory which yeah. again and uh we we have this moment in the divine liturgy it's it's a it's the grand procession where the priests and the deacons they basically they take the elements they take the the body and the blood the, the bread and the wine and they basically parade them around the church mm. saying the death the death of christ is the victory and it, it's modeled after a, a roman victory procession um and there's this very there's this way we say yes christ's death is his victory or at pascha at easter you know we're seeing christ is risen from the dead trampling down death by death huh. you know, he defeated like the spiritual being of, of hades and you know broke down like the the bars of death by dying death could not contain him and so there's and then this scene is like this kind of weird parody of that where this you know, Tyler Durden character kind of lets himself be killed, almost killed, for the sake of the space. And in in his embracing of his own death or whatever, like his 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 blood um, freaks out Lou, and Lou just like <laughs> says, "Okay, whatever," and then he leaves. And so, and then they're then they're all saved and served or whatever. So I don't know. Uh, that was just making me think this movie's either much more brilliant or much more blasphemous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I well, thought, but. <laughs> This is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, is the idea of what Jesus, one of a compelling thing that Jesus said is essentially, you know, the everything we do, every law, every rule is essentially backed up by the idea that if you break our rules, we're going to, somebody's going to come to your house, drag you out, put you in a cage and, you know, beat you you know, mercilessly. That is the threat of every law, every rule that you're you're going to be made to suffer if you don't follow our rules. And Jesus essentially said, he called the bluff. He said, no, you know, you can do whatever you want to me. And, you know, I don't accept that. And so and they called his bluff. He got nailed to a tree for it. And essentially saying that if you're not afraid of that, if you're not afraid of being beaten and crucified, then you become Superman. You become stronger than them. And it's a profound yes. thing, the belief that everything you tell me to do, you know, essentially telling the Pharisees, do whatever you want to me. I'm not afraid of that. Do it to me. And everyone watched yeah. this happen. And he became Superman. Basically, he became stronger than them Very because he so. allowed it to happen. And he, yes. you know, and and that's essentially yeah. what we saw I, here. Very much so, yeah. So I saw a snippet of an interview once um, with, um, and I forget who the ladies were. It was like a famous interviewer. And it was the uh, a prominent figure in, I think, like the National Atheist Association. Mm-hmm. But the this um, high, high-ranking uh, atheist lady, he said something like, uh, you know, religion is all superstition. And if we really believe that, you know, heaven is a better place, you know, why wouldn't we, wouldn't we all be like hanging ourselves now to get there? Something like that. <laughs> Basically, you know, inferring like, I mean, we don't really, it can't be real because we don't really believe it because like people aren't that, that eager to get there. Um, however, like what you're saying, um, you know, 
Christ called the Pharisees bluff and said, sure, uh, do your worst. And what we see throughout history in the lives of the saints, the lives of the martyrs, is you see exactly this taking place. These people who call the bluff, they say, yeah, I believe that Christ has defeated death and that what he's offering is better. And I don't fear death and I don't fear pain. And you have hundreds of martyrs, thousands of martyrs who like openly embrace and even actively invite death. Like they put their own heads in the chopping box mm-hmm. um, and and everything because they're so sure of the prize that that's on the way. That's, you, that, that's being granted. Even as re- recently in Iraq with, uh, you know, ISIS murdering Christians and them just, yeah. you know, calling out to Christ as they've been being murdered. It's yeah. yeah, it's a uh, it's a <laughs> it's a powerful statement and it is very much so. And so so it's in the movie <laughs> speaking yeah. of Fight Club. So the so Edward Norton character Edward Norton's character is essentially doing the same thing. He's there's been this sub um there's been this story arc of like uh Jack's relationship with his boss in this really drab colored Thorson Light office. It's like mm-hmm. this really meaningless job. Uh, and his boss is just like doesn't get it, antagonistic, very unenlightened. And so in this scene, um, you know, Edward Norton's character uh, basically beats himself up in his office. And I mean, it's kind of diabolical. He like beats himself up, and security's coming. And like, there's a, the the crux moment is when like his boss, who has not touched him at all, is just like standing there flabbergasted. But then security walks in, just as like Edward Norton, all bloody, is like saying, "Please don't hit me again." Um, and then. Like the guy, the boss gets arrested or something. But again, it's kind of the exploring that idea that through pain, through is liberation, and you know, you embrace your death, you embrace your suffering, and there's a lot of freedom and like a lot of like superhuman aspects of you, or you kind of transcend your humanity mm-hmm. and start to. It, well, I guess thinking in, in in orthodox terms, I mean, we talk about this process of theosis, which is you know becoming becoming. I mean, godlike, become, you know, taking on the, the qualities of, of, the, of the Lord, and uh, in a sense, becoming more than he, more than human, or, or or we can maybe say, finally achieving the fullness of humanity, which is to be like Christ. Mm. And a lot of the ways we do that is by embracing suffering, embracing, embracing pain. Yeah, and everything. And uh, yeah, it, he starts. Uh, Tyler then starts giving out homework. The first one. It's interesting saying that. Start, like the Great Commission. <laughs> right, exactly. Start a yeah. fight and lose. Like purposely start a fight with somebody, but don't win. Don't like beat somebody up. Have them beat you up, and that's like the first right. kind of thing. And yeah. he points out that it's really hard to to get somebody to fight you because people will do anything, you know, <laughs> to avoid a fight. And he's essentially doing what he always did. Was he was kind of a social terrorist. He would pee and he would like be become a a server at a restaurant and he would pee in food. Uh, in the uh-huh. pornographic moment that we talked about earlier at movie theaters, he would splice in a you know quick scene from a porno film into a kids movie, and he was you know would just do really horrible things. And now he's getting these men, these people of his Fight Club, to you know, to do these horrible tricks. Like, for example, the the spike strip when you pull into a parking lot, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> to flip them around so that, you know, the person right. coming in or coming out would get, you know, yeah, would puncture their, their tires uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and part of, part of it is, you know, Tyler's philosophy again, you know, you're not the stuff that you own. Um, 
Which, which again, total total counter to like the the capitalist narrative that a lot of us are surrounded by. I I watched this late at night, and I was kind of wondering if like you could pull like a sermon on the mount parody there. Maybe you can. <laughs> I think somebody else will have to find that. <laughs> but well, um, and I think that this kind of the point of the movie is that you know what people miss is that he is a Christ-like figure. He is their leader. He, so he's telling all of these people, you've been manipulated by society. Society, you know, has turned you into sheep. They've turned you into, you know, into little automatons walking in a line, following their rules. And so you should drop away from society. Society's nothing. Give up your materialistic things. And then he essentially turns them into his sheep. Yeah, right. Um, yes, this this is one of my favorite scenes. It's yeah. the um, it's it's the Raymond scene where it looks like he's um, poor Asian guy yeah. uh, who's just like sweet sweet character named Raymond. Um, but like you know the Brad Pitt character, he pulls him out of the convenience store, like gets him on his knees and holds a gun to the back of his head, and he looks like he's gonna shoot him. But then kind of the threat is like you know if you don't go and start making something of your life. Then I'm going to kill you. Like basically saying, like, please, please go break out of life and go finally, like, <laughs> break break your chains. Like, you know, go go be free. Please go be free. <laughs> so, yeah, essentially really telling beautiful. him you're going to die. What do you regret not doing? And he said, yeah. you used to go to college. Why didn't you drop out? And he said, because it's too much study. And he says, okay, if you don't go in back to school and finish your studies, then I will kill you. And yeah. And you, I don't know. It's is this a good thing that he's doing for him? Is it not good? Maybe the tactics, but in yeah. essence, he's very. Go ahead. Oh, he's 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 very anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing a lot of like conventionally bad things and maybe even like sinful things. But like, like what makes a really good, interesting character villain is like someone who's got very complex motivation or has like at a, at his heart like the desire to do good, but then like the method gets distracting. Yeah, well, because earlier when he was burning, you know, Jack's hand, he was saying, you need to understand that you are going to die. Don't just say that you understand. You need to accept the fact that you will die. And later on in a car, when they get into the car accident, he asks the men, you know, his little army soldiers that he has in the back seat, what do you regret not doing? If you were to die today, what would you regret not doing? One guy says, I wish I built a house or I wish I had painted a self-portrait. And so he's in essence telling people, you're going to die very soon. We're all dying. So pursue the thing that you wish you had done. And he's doing it in really dark, you know, <laughs> really horrible ways. But right, catchy and memorable because we all yeah. remember them. But yeah. does he have a point in our materialism is essentially dragging us away from the things we should be doing? And yeah, yeah he's now so. narrating to us. You know, he's you're not the car you drive. You're not the things you own. You're not the, the content, content of your wallet. wallet. Yeah. <laughs> um. I'm having a total like Bible college student fail moment because I feel like Jesus does say something like this. Like, <laughs> oh, it's like, you know, what, like, let's say you gain the world but lose your soul. Like, what then have you have? And it's, I think that's connected to like the parable of like 
rich farmer who tore down his barns to build bigger barns. And mm-hmm. He's like, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is so this is a scene with uh, Jack and Marla. After after one after it's it's a night where Mar- Marla Marla's come to have sex with Tyler, and spoiler, uh, she thinks it's she thinks it's Edward Norton's character, or Edward Norton doesn't know that she thinks it's him. Anyway, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's there's a that's the spoiler of the twist, but right. um. But uh, this is actually an interesting because this is the first time they kind of start to get vulnerable with each other, or they're not quite so hostile to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still, I, I mean, and in all fairness to him, he doesn't know, he's missing a lot of context for her experience, and so not able to really show her empathy. Sure. Um, but um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's the first moment where they're, they're starting to connect, and he's asking, you know, why is a weaker person drawn to a stronger person? I think he's talking about himself being drawn to Tyler, but she might be thinking, why is she drawn to him? Uh, anyway. Yeah. But Mar- uh, I mean, good. Oh, I was just remarking, Mar- Marla is a very interesting, interesting character. I mean, I mean, we're kind of exploring mostly uh, kind of like the toxic versions of masculinity um, and not so much toxic versions of femininity, but there's, I don't know. There, there, there's some tropes that she kind of embodies of like super, super emotional woman, super unstable woman, you know, super traumatized woman who like kind of tries to find herself, you know, yeah. by you know going to bed with another man. Which, which again, that trope exists for a reason because that happens. But it's, it's again. I, I mean, <laughs> I guess in this film, I mean, since we're kind of glorifying exaggerated versions of versions of men, why not? Glorify an exaggerated version of a uh, wounded woman as well. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, I get yeah, because she's because you know, she's uh, you know also broken and toxic, and she's drawn to Tyler Durden for the same reasons that uh, you know that Jack is. You know, it, she obviously talks about how she's been sexually assaulted. Uh, you know, raped as a child. And she's drawn to a person who is emotionally un, you know, detached. Yeah. Are there uh, so other clinical note though? So uh, on the on similar to you know, don't judge a support group by what you see in Fight Club. So probably you know, if Marla were to show up in, in the counseling office, I'd probably be able to diagnose her, you know, definitely with, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. probably with borderline personality disorder also, probably. Um, I don't think I have enough context on her to, to, to know that for sure. Sure. But all that to say, you know, um, you know, she, she is not the end all be all of what PTSD or borderline are. So, you know, maybe someone said, you know, you know, a lot of people, I think, have traits of trauma or some traits of borderline. <laughs> kind of, I think I have some traits of borderline sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but diagnoses should be understood uh, on, a, on a spectrum. And I know, like, like, borderline in particular, I think there's, like, nine criteria, and you need, like, five to meet it. I'm a therapist. I should know this. Um, but you might, like, have, like, traits of five, but they're not really at their fullness. So there's a lot of ways to have borderline and not be Marla Singer, or just because <laughs> someone says you have borderline doesn't mean they think you're this character from Fight Club. Right. So I think that's important to notice. Yeah. Um, so 
um, this is another really fascinating thing going on in the movie. So at this point, uh, so Ian Bailey, Pinocchio, and Bob are outside of Tyler and Jack's flop house, and they are going through the rigors of they have to you know stand for three days with no sleep, no food, no water in the elements to show that they're committed to the cause. Um, this is interesting, I think, because as we've been talking about how do we find purpose and meaning and what's the role of overcoming struggle. So um, this is actually an interesting depiction of asceticism and the value of ascetic labors. Um, I remember like when I when I first saw this movie when I was like in, in my early twenties, there was something I don't know, it's a I mean the house the house is the house is terrible. It's dilapidated, it's condemned, it's filthy, nothing works. But I remember there was something really alluring and almost cool about it. Mm -hmm. And I mean at that point in my life, I mean that was I mean I was really angry and stable in a lot of ways. And so there was something really appealing to this idea of can I just like get outside of society, get outside of the comforts get down to rock bottom and kind of as an expression of anger, kind of, kind of as an expression of like disappointment, disillusionment, be like these comfortable structures, home church haven't quite made it for me. So I'm going to go like be on my own. Sure. Oh, this funny moment. So, so the Jared Leto character, I, I really appreciate Jared Leto in so many ways, but like <laughs> is, uh, he has like this really useless role here. He's like, Kind of the depiction of like the predestination where they created his character, this really beautiful bleach blonde model character just to get brushed. And there's this really beautiful moment where like the Pinocchio character, he's like, you know, he's made it into the flop house and now like Jared Leto's like on the porch. And like the only retort that like Ian Bailey has <laughs> for him is like, you're too blonde. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. Anyway, but, um, yeah, and the thing of it is, is that, uh, you know, it's almost like very meta in that Jared Leto is a beautiful, attractive, you know, actor, and he's in a rock band, and he's very popular, and in this movie, they beat him mercilessly, and in one of Tyler Durden's speeches, he's like, you were promised that you were going to be, you know, an actor, a model, and he looks right at <laughs> his character, and he says, a rock star, and you're nothing. He does. You're... <laughs> so... I totally missed that moment. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But in essence, because it's, it almost does these two different things. It's saying that society has made you into consumers, into a, like little worker bees working for yeah. a society that gives you nothing. So you have right. to drop it all, give it all yeah. up, and join this model. Yeah. And he, he is, in essence, replaces one you know, kind of, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to be too harsh, but fascist, kind of the fascism of capitalism, and has him join his form of fascism, and he essentially yes. replaces the god of capitalism with the god of Tyler Durden, and Tyler Durden he doesn't Russia. really. Yeah. They don't realize it, but they are just as consumeristic, just yeah. as you know, sheepish, or you know, yeah as uh, yeah. you know well, clones as they were before they are but they're but so uh taking that even more meta so so you know tyler's flop house it, it takes on this very cultish feel to it uh and uh there's a scene coming up we'll talk about how they've created their own religion but there, there's a way i mean again like thinking of this as a parody of, of christianity because technically christianity the whole thing is a cult because sure in, in the in the older technical definition of what it is it's it's 
total devotion to to a single figure, which is how we started. Um, but yeah, there's this. Uh, I think it, we can we can understand life in terms of allegiances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is our allegiance to Christ? Is our allegiance to you know the demons? Is our allegiance to sensuality? Is our allegiance to a political person? And yeah, you're you're very right. You know, in in this movie, you know. Um, they, they said there's this group of people who have shifted their allegiance from the god of capitalism to the god of mischief or to, to Tyler Durden himself. Sure. And and, it, and it, it is very much technically what happens when we, we convert, when we become Christian, when we join the kingdom. We're saying we are, and in, in the Orthodox baptism, we, we depict this. Like we, we uh, the service starts on the steps of the church. We face west. Which is, you know, facing facing the devil. We spit on the devil. We say the creed, and then we turn around, face east. We're baptized. We're church. We're brought into the church and baptized. And in that, we're basically rejecting allegiance to one spiritual force, and we're pledging allegiance to a new spiritual force. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that that's a very real, real thing there. And um, I I think what what gets depicted here, what you know, why is this compelling? Why is this flop house? Why um. Why is Project Mayhem appealing compared to capitalism? Is there's something about asceticism that I think is appealing to a lot of people? It's this uh, embrace of struggle, this rejection of like the hassles of the world, this uh, rejection of all the other authorities, uh, and 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 I know um, I, I know for me like I mean asceticism had always has always had an appeal. I mean I'm very much not an ascetic. I have a family, <laughs> sure, um, and I like my wine and my chocolate a lot. But um, but uh, but but I feel like you know for for those uh, for for people who are striving for meaning, striving for for structure, striving for bringing for purpose. You know, one way to go about that is through ascetic practice and. Um, and actually, I mean, I have a couple, I have a couple clients like this too, who they're, they're not in the Christian tradition, but whether they're part of the, you know, an Eastern tradition or just kind of like on their own, they're kind of like, ah, the, the world, the society as it is, doesn't work and it, it's limited. And if I, instead of trying to win in that game, if I just step out of the game altogether, I'm free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see people like, uh, you know, Saint Anthony the Great, you know Saint Macarius the Great, uh, Saint Sergius of Radonish, you know Saint Seraphim of Sarov, Saint Herman of Alaska. People who they step outside of society, they step outside the rules, they step outside their own comfort. They wage war against demons, and they find freedom. They find holiness, and they become the pillars of the, the church. And anyway, so I don't know. I mean, you know, Fight Club is very much not the church, but it's very much, <laughs> I think trying to function in the way that the church does and that is this group of people who are like collectively rejecting the world embracing struggle in a way that kind of mirrors monasticism in a way yeah and okay. I, but i do think that this is a very toxic kind of environment and and i think but it also speaks to the idea that men are missing something which is why in the last you know 4 or 5 years we've seen men attracted to groups like the alt-right or like the Proud Boys or, you know, things like this. And in Christianity, the megachurch pastor becomes this, you know, iconic figure that a lot of these men and churches are attracted to this one person. 
and mm-hmm. it becomes manipulative. It becomes, and it plays on this idea that your society has betrayed you, so join mm-hmm. me. And it's it is rather toxic, and yeah. But it, it does speak to the idea that we are missing something in society, that we need, we're yeah. striving for something. And the difference is, is that in Jesus, in Christ, and that's what I think why baptism is so important, like you mentioned, is that baptism is the, the idea that we're dying to ourselves and we're reborn again in Christ, in, you know, in the evangelical point of view, in, you know, the Christian point of view, you you're dead and buried in water, and then you resurrect again. And I think that, uh, you know, I've I've read the, uh, I I don't know if I've mentioned this on, I'm sure I have, because I I think about it a lot. But the idea of Aleister Crowley, the, the, you know, the satanic, you know, he said, he wrote an article, uh, uh, an essay on the, 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 the communion, the, you know the 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 cup of wine the you know and he said that it is though it is a horrible thing that you're dying to yourself because you're losing yourself you're not your mm-hmm. your own anymore and his idea is that we need to be ours and not somebody else's and mm-hmm. so again yeah. in a satanic sense it is very hedonistic you are your own and pleasure is good and mm-hmm. in Christianity, we say, no, we need to die to ourselves and give ourselves yeah. over to God and to something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's very much this question of allegiances again. Like, mm-hmm. I can pledge allegiance to myself, and that is intern- that there's an internally consistent way of doing that, and it takes you on a particular trajectory versus, uh, you know, I'm made allegiances to the Lord Jesus, which, you know, different trajectory. Um, I, yeah, I like the comparisons you make between, uh, or like you're talking about like alt right and you know Fight Club and, and Christianity, and like um, I was thinking about how, and I'm I'm comparing you know Project Mayhem to something akin to asceticism. It is it is toxic here because it, it is very violent and it is very mischievous and it's it's angry. There's there's this thread of just anger disillusionment. Which I think we also see played out in a lot of the the political movements too. Like, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness, a lot of frustration, and and that's what's getting embodied and shouted on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very different, I think, than what like monasticism monasticism is or asceticism. Sure. Because, I mean, anger is there because it's a human emotion. We have we, we feel it. But mm-hmm. I think the the non toxic versions of these. These things, the non-toxic version of struggle, is a non-violent. It's not not based on power or trying to struggle over another person. Mm-hmm. True monasticism is struggle over one's own self, um, which in a way kind of gets depicted in this movie a little bit. Like, I mean, when when it comes to the end, and you realize like they're, they're the same person. Spoiler, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's twenty years old. Um, yeah, it's twenty years old, and I'm going to give it up in the uh, you know I'm going to explain right. <laughs> everything in the coming attractions. So yeah, yeah spoilers yeah, yeah, are yeah. understood that Tyler Durden okay. essentially Jack invented Ty- Tyler Durden because he needed right. something else, and so they're both yes. the same person, and we don't find that out until towards the end, but right. they are the one yeah. in the same. Yeah, and in that there, there's kind of a way that they kind of depicts the inner struggle. Like primary adversary is not anything or anyone outside of me but it is my own self and 
Uh, and I feel like that's that would be the difference between like a really toxic version of asceticism or religion or politics or, or anything versus a healthy one is if I think my enemy is outside of me, if I think you are my enemy, then I am toxic. But if I think my own enemy is within myself, you mm-hmm. know, not, not, not the core of me because, because I'm the image of God, but like, but yeah, if yeah. there's parts of me that are my enemies, then, then I'm able to be, then I'm able to be like a healthier person. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I, I ought to be judging myself first, most and most strictly and being most merciful to the people around me. Um, and when that gets inverted, it's mm-hmm. toxic. Yeah, and again, it, there is that toxic notion of the self hatred that is that does exist in Christianity, where you you know there's a self flagellation, and in in a lot of the evangelical Western worlds, it's I hate myself, I'm nothing, I'm garbage, and thank God, God loves me. You know, thank the Lord that I have God because I'm nothing, and God doesn't say that. He says, I love you. You are. I made you in my image. The problem is, is that you're following the wrong things. You are attached to something that is bad, and I want you to come back to me because you are worthy. You are fulfilled, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. And that's, right. you know, the less toxic version of it. And it can be very toxic in the church and, you know, in society, but that is not what God is teaching us. To hate no. ourselves, yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, that, that that doesn't serve anything. I mean, it's just a form of like pride, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, within like Orthodox thought about salvation, it's I mean, we don't see that like God is this angry figure who got offended by us because he's petty that way, mm-hmm. uh, and and like has to has to like punish Jesus instead of punishing us. We see it much more as like no, I mean, God is merciful. God is a, a healer. He's 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 a shepherd. And he sees that we have become sick, sick with sin. And so his whole goal is like to heal us. So, uh, you know, it's part of how we understand uh, like the discipline of God or, or pain or suffering um, is there, there's an educational component to it. Everything that God allows in our lives is meant to teach us, meant to heal us. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, there's this, um, yeah, there's this very much the sense that God is looking for any reason possible to save as many people as he can. And it's the people who will allow that to happen that, that become saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And so then you get to this idea of like, well, like, does God send gay people to hell? And it's like, well, not in a way. No, like, I mean, some gay people, like some straight people, like don't want to be with God. And so will like create hell on their own selves. But I mean, like the, the goal of God is that all people be saved. Right. Through some means. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe some people have a longer journey to go there than others. But um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's that, that. I think that's an important attitude shift to be aware of. Yeah. There's a, there was a movie that, and I, was, I wasn't a member of the progressive Christian movement, but I had a lot of progressive Christian friends. And, you know, a lot of people became progressive Christians. And there was this movie called, uh, I forget, uh, something Sundays, uh, but it's, it was about a pastor who was very much evangelical, and he, he believed that God sends you to hell if you don't accept him. He, he throws you into the fiery pit, and that becomes very dangerous, the idea that God loves you your whole life, but then at the very end will, will thrust you into hell, which is why a lot of Christians lose their faith in God 
because they see God as this evil person, this evil being who, you know, will throw you into hell. Where, as I think the more the more realistic version of that is we are drowning and we, you know, God didn't throw us overboard. We fell overboard and he is trying to send us a life preserver, you know? And I do think that a lot of churches teach us that God throws us to hell and he doesn't, he saves us. No, very much so. I mean, yeah, I mean, like uh, one more, I think a more accurate understanding of it is that, you know, I mean, I mean, Hell, the lake of fire, was created for the devil, for the demons, I think mm-hmm. not for people. And and actually, there, there's a way that you know we, we believe that you know you know everyone who dies, well, it, it is like how is it? Um, and if there's anybody, if there's any Orthodox listeners, feel free to correct me if I'm getting this slightly wrong. But I believe that like we say that the resurrection, uh, resurrection is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget forgiveness does not end up being for everyone because. I don't know, like resurrection is the free gift that's just like automatically offered to everyone. So everyone, when they die, goes to the presence of God. Um, forgiveness isn't some, isn't as, as isn't automatic, um, and so that's why some people will die and they will experience the merciful presence of God as torture because they didn't want Him, they don't know Him, and they weren't prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know other people, they will experience that as quite lovely. So, but yeah, it's very much not God throwing people to hell. Oh, okay. So this is a this is a sad scene in the movie. So yeah. <laughs> Bob Bob died. He was shot in the service of mischief. Um, but there. So here's where the space monkeys. There. So Doc's character is really distressed about this. Also, he's getting. He's. I also Tyler has left him, so he's feeling stranded. But anyway. Um, so. Uh, so Jack is really sad that his friend Bob is dead. All of the others are like. He has no name because in Project Mayhem we have no names. Then, uh, you know, Doc says, no, he has a name, and it's Robert Paulson, okay? And then one of the other guys says, oh, well, then that must that must be true because in death, you have a name. His name is Robert Paulson. And then they all start chanting, his name is Robert Paulson over and over. Right. Um, in, in, life we have, yeah, in life, we have no name. In death, we have a name, essentially. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. Which, I mean, yeah. It's kind of a cool idea, but um, but what's interesting here is how, again, looking at ritual, right here you see develops um, a ritual, a sacrament, uh, a liturgy, essentially, of, mm-hmm. or a liturgical moment where they all come together and they all participate in the life of Robert Paulson, or they um, they participate in his becoming a name, uh, getting it, getting a name, um, and um, and that's. It's really interesting, I think, thinking about how, how how religions work. And again, religion is a little bit different than spirituality. Um, but you see, but you know, anywhere you see people um, gathering around, like you know, ritual or belief, you know, I think you see this in uh, you know the way people talk about science. You know, the way you know the way Black Lives Matter functions. You know, even the way like you know, COVID has kind of become its own religion too. I mean, mm-hmm. we have like. <laughs> Our, our masking rituals we have you know there's like the vaccine sacrament there's the washing hands profit right there's the cdc holy text whatever so it's, it's very much and and there's even this talk of like you know there's the believers and unbelievers and it's like uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a, anyway but like but it, but again I, I think part of part of what we see like you know in current day stuff and, and in this movie and you know and 
you know, ancient religions before that is, again, people needing to participate in something. And so, you know, something comes along that offers a structure of here's community, here's ritual, here's sacrament, here's a struggle of sorts. The in-group um, and the out-group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, 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 we do like to other people. Uh, but I think it, it's, it's that combination of things. And, and we could say, I mean, from an Orthodox perspective, we'd say all of that is like a, a lesser version or a shadow or a parody of what the fullness is. Mm. Um, and we could say, you know, you know, probably all people are seeking the fullness of God, the fullness of salvation. And through various means and various reasons, end up in different versions, lesser versions of them. Um, mm -hmm. But we can see some of those components of what people are drawn to and, uh, and, and think of that as why. Yeah. One, one of the best lines, I think, <laughs> and something that I keeps, I, the rage that he feels when he gets, when Bob gets killed is he says, you're running around town, blowing things up. What did you think was going to happen? And right. I that every time something horrible happens on the news, like or at a church, or you know, or in myself when I do something stupid, uh, that line, "What did you think was going to happen?" Like that resonates in my head. <laughs> right. Or yeah, I mean, I look at people who are like, "Well, yeah, you're <clears throat> you're yelling at this person, you're insulting them, you're degrading them. Did you really expect them to suddenly agree with you and all your perspectives?" Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they rage what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, they rage at you, and like you know, it's yeah. No wonder they don't like you. So, <laughs> anyway, um, and okay. so here, here so we start. In... Yeah, this is the the I don't know the realization, the the death and resurrection. I don't know what we want to call it in the hero's journey, but uh, you know, when he realizes Tyler Durden isn't a separate person, and the whole notion is this jealousy that he feels throughout this whole movie is, you know, he, he keeps talking about how he was abandoned by his father. Then he finds this new father figure. And now this new father figure abandoned him as well. And he feel, and when, even when Tyler's sleeping with Marla, you know, he says he hates Marla, but it's very clear. He's very jealous that he can't have her. And so, you know, it, it is a really complex and really beautiful kind of notion of what we're missing, what we wish we had versus who mm -hmm. who we are and who we wish we were. Yeah. There's this way, too, where, I mean, I just pulled up one of, like, the random Amazon trivia points, uh, you know, something, and it was saying something about um, uh, Chuck Palahniuk's an original idea for the novel coming from an experience of social blocking and the mysterious ways people just like block people out of their lives or boxes uh you know this gets like somebody has this really big injury and nobody acknowledges it because they don't really care they don't really want to get to know um and you kind of see that in the show too you know jack's this character who rejected by his father he's rejected by you know tyler you know he's on and off rejected by marla he doesn't fit in at work he's in a sense like rejected from his own project mayhem and it's just he's living in isolation and you know, even in like the support groups at the, at the beginning, like he's there, he's not really connecting. He's just, mm -hmm. you know, being a parasite. Uh, and he, so... he, he talks to Marla about how like everybody's talking, but really at the end of the day, they're all waiting for their turn to talk. Right. Which is a, which is a very uh, dysfunctional means method of communication. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, uh, yeah. This, this definitely it's a, it's a big theme in the show of um, you know the characters blocked out of society. He's isolated, <laughs> and um, and there's some deep wounds that come out of that. Uh, okay, so this is the fun moment where he's now he's now he's now see this is this is the big reveal where he sees yes, me and Tyler were because we're the same person, <laughs> um, and now now we're seeing flashbacks just to some of the other scenes that had Brad Pitt's character. And now it's Edward Norton's character saying the same lines, doing the same things, um, including having sex with Marla. So, <laughs> surprise! Um, yes. What I find yes, re- really beautiful in a lot of movies, what they do, is that we expect that conversion happens in one instance, in one moment. And I bring it up in I've, uh, I, when I talk to my friends about in uh, Mad Max Fury Road, is there's this, you know, war boy, if you've seen the movie, he loses yeah. his faith in, you know, in the the person he's following. But it doesn't happen instantly. It happens over steps. And here, what's interesting is that there's not one moment when you realize, where he realizes that he and, and Tyler are the same person. It happens in steps. And it's almost like it also in salvation, in acceptance of God, in conversion, it doesn't happen instantly. There isn't one moment that where you switch. It has to happen in steps. It has to happen slowly yeah. and gradually. Yeah, we say I was saved. I am being saved, and I will be saved. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that makes a little bit more sense sometimes in a in a more sacramental understanding of things. Like I mean, you say yes, my sal- you know, like I say, me, my salvation process started on this one particular day in this one particular pond, and it was Father Matthew, and that, <laughs> you know, pushed me under the water. Um, but I am on a, on this salvation process, like, my, my whole life, and there's this kind of, you know, mix of, like, I, you know, kind of certainty, uncertainty, like, I hope to be saved, I will be saved, you know, someday at the end. Um, but, you know, the, you know, but the, uh, part of that, too, like, creates a sense of, like, well, I've got to be present and I've got to be engaged in it and I've got to be be humble in it all the way through. Um, I guess another way this comes out is too when people get in a, re- a recovery process of any sort, there's a sense of like, way well, like I don't think the term addict is helpful or useful at all. But there's mm-hmm. a sense that people can have the sense of like, you know, once I was a normie and then I was an addict and then I was an addict in recovery and I'll always be an addict or whatever. Um, it's but it's it's a really important question for people who are doing re- recovery work about like like am I ever done like is there ever a point where my my recovery work air quotes is done and I can just be be a normie again um, and there's kind of this sense and and I think it, it, there there's a lot of ways this, this can be healthy too of like I don't need to obsess over relapse always but it is always a possibility and so keeping it at least on the edge of the table is this could always happen. And it just, it keeps me sharp. It keeps me present. It keeps me engaged. It keeps me driving in the other direction. Um, and again, coming back to trajectories, like, you know, what I tell, you know, guys in my recovery groups is like, yeah, let's say, you know, let's say you're like a hundred steps away from the cliff of relapse, you know, and you could probably safely take like, you know, five or six steps that direction. Um, but why would you? Why not take five or six steps striving for something counter to that? Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, and yeah, good on that. Well, because okay. that's uh, and again, something else I see in 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 pop culture is this: we have to accept the fact that we will fail again. I I think in in this one other show, Brockmire, about an alcoholic, he finds recovery and he's talking to somebody 
who's in recovery with him, and she tells him, you know you're going to relapse again, don't you? And he, it's kind of like the sad moment, but the whole thing isn't that you're going to fail. It's that we will stumble, but that doesn't mean that we failed. It just means that we have to pick ourselves back up, which which we are shown in the gospel when Jesus is talking to Peter. And Jesus tells Peter, you're going to reject me. But he tells him, don't let that destroy you. You have to pick yourself back up. And that's something kind of that we have to remind ourselves always. When we fall, we have to... And just because we found salvation doesn't mean that we're done. We're going to fail again. And that's okay. Because it's a constant struggle. When they talk about the living sacrifice, is that we're constantly having to put ourselves back on the altar. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's there there's an icon in the Orthodox Church. Uh, I think it's called the Ladder of Divine Ascent, and it's it, it's kind of a gruesome one where it's it's the image of, of this winding ladder, and it's like Earth at the bottom, Christ and the angels at the top, and a, a variety of pilgrims on the ladder. And on one side, there's the angels who are trying to help people up, and there's the demons who are trying to pull people down. Mm. And um, so, I should not make any more comments about it because I, I haven't studied <laughs> that one in particular. Ask ask an Orthodox priest really what that one means. Um, but uh, but there is a sense of like salvation is struggle, life is struggle, and I think that in spiritual life and in recovery life, having having a different relationship with struggle is really helpful. Like having this recognition that yes, I'm going to struggle, and that's and that's the point of it is engaging, staying engaged, picking yourself up. When we fall, Mister Wayne, what do we do? We rise. That sort of thing. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. had to. No, but um, yeah, the the phoenix, you know, turn yeah. rises from the ashes, and yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, different than this idea of like, you know, I'm never gonna drink again, or I'm never gonna sin again, and oh, I sin again. Poor me. Uh, yes, we struggle, and the point is, we pick ourselves back up. Right, and I and I think that the thing that people need to embrace is that struggle is normal. Mm-hmm. Struggle, it is more normal to struggle than it is to not struggle. Yeah, and and I think that in like yeah, in Christianity, in Project Mayhem, in capitalism, <laughs> we need each yeah. other. We need one another. We need community. When we when we have sacrament, you know, the holy sacrament, we don't do it alone. We break bread together. That's why I think Christ mm-hmm. picked the idea of sacrament and breaking of bread because eating is a communal experience, you know. And mm-hmm. when I think when uh, uh, oh gosh, uh, Anthony Bourdain passed away, a lot of people, oh. he, you know, they he died. Anthony Bourdain. I didn't know. I didn't know he died. Memory eternal. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, but uh, a lot of people talked about how his whole thing is eating together the one thing Mm -hmm. that everyone does in every community is we all eat together we all Mm -hmm. have a communion you know ritual yeah but it's never alone it's always together right well i mean you look at um like ancient pagan rituals and like food and sacrifice was really conspicuous in those rituals also. And if I, uh, again, not my primary area of study, I've mostly listened to the Lord of Spirits podcast, but um, but like in ancient pagan rituals, uh, I mean, you would eat, you would kind of bring food to, to the gods. And there was kind of with this idea of like, kind of trying to like manipulate them a little bit. 
Uh, and that's the the inverse of that in uh, you know ancient you know Old Testament worship, Hebrew worship, is you you bring your food to the altar and you you eat with God. You participate. You, the meal becomes the medium through which you spend time with God. And and again, too, in, in you know in in the in the Eucharist in, in the church is uh, when we eat of the body and, and blood, when we eat of the bread and wine, very real things. We're participating with God. We are communing with him in that way. So yes, mm-hmm. food is important. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very dynamic way of participating with people. Right. And we need to be a part of something. And yeah, I, mm-hmm. and again, and that's what I think is kind of, I, I don't know what to make of this movie. Cause I don't want to glorify project mayhem, right. but at the end of the day, the reminder is, is that we need, we're missing something. We need something. But whatever yeah. it is, we're in this together. Yeah. And so, we could say maybe like Project Mayhem has a lot of like these central components for a religion and like has um, like some of, the, some of the same components that are present in healthy spirituality are are taken out of the context and put in this really exaggerated environment. And so and so and, and so it doesn't work. Sure. Um, we could say maybe maybe that their target is not big enough. They're they're only going after the credit card company. They're not really after <laughs> right. changing people's hearts and minds. Yeah. So so they're it's it's limited in scope in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that this this isn't health or, or, <laughs> or true spirituality. But um, but but it, but there's also ways too. I'm I'm just thinking. So here, this this sequence is when uh, Jackie. Now he knows everything. He knows he's Tyler Durden. He knows he set up Project Mayhem. He's been this terrorist. So he does this. He starts doing some more classically heroic things where he he connects with Marla and he tries to take care of her. He tries to save her to get her out of town. Mm-hmm. Then he turns himself into the police to try to say, hey, here's this thing coming. I need to like dismantle my movement. I need to save people. Um, and it's almost like, oh, now he really has something to live for. And it's like, and it's, and he, maybe he has a sense like he's going to die in the process or this thing might kill him. Mm-hmm. But he's like, now I know what I need to do. And I'm running around town in my underwear because like, I'm willing to do anything it takes to do what I need to, need to do, which is stop this thing. <laughs> yeah. Just stop this thing. So it's, it's an interesting, I hadn't thought of this the first time I watched it, but I guess this is, is like when he really becomes a hero is when now now he's living for other people, mm-hmm. or he's putting a lot of self-sacrificial effort into caring for others in a way. Yeah, the and again in the hero's journey, the uh, the meeting. Uh, gosh, I forget what they call it, but when when you meet the father, the you know, and, and uh, yeah, I, I forget what that point is called too, but yeah, yeah, and so. And that's the thing, is that he's now trying to undo it. And eventually, he's trying to fix what he broke. And he's trying. He's sacrificing himself. He's working for something else bigger than himself. And he will, at some point later, he will actually sacrifice himself and be born again. Again. Yeah. There's always a baptism right. and resurrection, you know, kind right. of image. Is- yeah, his primary inner adversity is only vanquished when he fully embraces death. Like, which I mean, you see that twist coming up. Yeah. Um, I, I want to drop a note about dissociation though, because so, uh, so when a person 
creates like an alter like this uh, that can be understood as like dissociative identity disorder or what used to be called multiple personalities. Um, so it's a it's a thing. I mean, it's a it's a it's an experience that people have. Um, again, though, so um, the, what what happens in this movie is extremely exaggerated. Yeah, uh, and like an extreme, like an extremely severe case, and like and played for humor, uh, and played for humor and shock value. So one of the things to remember is that uh, everybody dissociates. Dissociation is a normal mm-hmm. functional mechanism of the human brain. Like if we were this is me as a counselor talking. If we were fully engaged with everything around us all of the time, we would get overwhelmed super fast. So things like I'm daydreaming, I'm on Facebook, I'm kind of tuning out your conversation. Those are slight examples of dissociation. Everybody does them. They happen all the time. Um, you know, and it, it happens on a spectrum. So, you know, if I tune out of every conversation, that, that would get problematic. Mm-hmm. But but it's also part of how I stay sane and part of how I keep myself from getting overwhelmed and everything. So dissociation happens on increasing degrees. So like it happens when you know over the course of like typical depression and anxiety, uh, dissociation becomes uh, more significant when there's there's trauma. Uh, when people go through traumas, sometimes the body can't escape, and so the mind protects you through dissociation through just blacking out creating or enhancing other parts of you to surface and protect you um you know and in some and in the, and in the most uh distinct cases you might get this phenomenon of there are, there are multiple personalities or multiple parts and you know the the, the self's experience the the core self's experience is like losing time or not being conscious of everything and that's a little bit of what gets depicted with this character. Like he starts out as an in, as an insomniac. He he can't sleep, and kind of what becomes clearer throughout the movie is that it's because like he's not actually sleeping. When his core consciousness goes to sleep, Kyler Durden comes out and and does stuff, does sure. stuff with his body. And only later do do those two personas actually meet and start interacting. But all that to say, so you know. Again, when we, you know, in an effort to avoid stigma, you know, when we talk about dissociation or hear about somebody with DID uh, or somebody who has like multiple parts or personas or something, um, again, don't judge every uh, person with DID by Tyler Durden because they're not like that. Um, <laughs> it's neither to be, uh, you know, shamed or glorified. <laughs> right, right, and and again, like people, people with mental illnesses, they're 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 not violent. They're not inherently violent. Like not as a rule. I mean, there's always going to be moments and, and exceptions, but you know, somebody who dissociates is not violent. They're not a sexual predator. They're not going to blow up a building. They're not crazy. Uh, they're not like paired in that way. What they are probably is somebody who's been through something really painful, really distressing, and this is how they're adapting. And and of course, what they probably need is somebody to be a witness to them and be present with them and be be loving to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyhow, we always come back to that. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of like the whole thing of uh, you know self destruction and you know trying to destroy ourselves to be born again and to grow again and to you know sometimes it's it's we do it for the in the wrong way, but we're striving, we're trying to find something that we can't find, and so. And so our brains 
kind of what you're saying is that our brains kind of try to help, you know, deal with a situation that we can't deal with head on. Yeah, our brains are so marvelous. Like the things that our brains and minds can do um, are just innumerably wonderfully, wonderfully right. <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, yes, maybe maybe if we do a sequel, we could do the movie Split. <laughs> but no, there you uh, go. Yeah, which, yeah um, actually, the other one I'd like to do would be Good Will Hunting. But um, yep. anyway, <laughs> tangents. This is about Fight Club. This is about okay. So here's where uh, Jack and Tyler are now fighting because they're fully onto each other. Everything is known, and Jack is fully committed to stopping Project Mayhem and Project Mayhem and its figurehead Tyler is fully committed to not being stopped. Mm -hmm. So they fight in the parking garage and now they're back at the scene where we started with, uh, you know, J Tyler has a gun in uh, Jack's mouth and, uh, and he's saying something like, whimsically poetic, like, you know, you've got a gun in your head and you're tonguing it and you're wondering, is this clean? <laughs> but, much to the brilliance of Chuck Palahniuk's wordsmithing. Yeah. And it's this notion that two sides are trying to win. Who, you know. Yeah. These two sides are trying to be the the dominant figure. And, yeah. and again, uh, the, I th yeah, Atonement with the Father, yeah. I think, is what the, the, the figure we're trying to, the, the, the yeah. phrase I was trying to find before. But, uh, uh yeah. Another thing, so when we talk about like these two figures fighting, um, I didn't think about this as closely when I was watching it, but thinking about like is this a dualistic unit, which I think it might be, and I'd be open to some pushback on that. But you have these two, you know, the Brad Pitt, Edward Norton characters who are dueling each other, and for all intents and purposes, kind of equal. But there's not really a distinct this is good, this is bad. Like they're both kind of antiheroes. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of a matter of like shifting the balance of chaos around. So, so in that so in that sense, and, and that's that's maybe one of the major ways that it diverges from you know definitely uh, you know orthodox thought, where in orthodox thought there's a definite good, there's a definite evil, there's a definite hierarchy and ranking among the gods, and um, and you know not all allegiances are equal in in that sense. And sure. so in in that in that sense where where there's that hierarchy, there become Choice really matters, and change becomes really possible, and redemption becomes really possible. Mm -hmm. In the world of Fight Club, where everybody's kind of on the same playing field, and in just like who can be the more chaotic or mischievous, or who can break the other one down, um, like there's not really a redemption narrative that's possible there. There's more just the I've come out on top for now, but at some point maybe I'll create another altar, and <laughs> uh, and he'll vanquish me or something. So I suppose that would be one of the differences there too. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that. I mean, we're talking about toxic masculinity. I wonder if that's maybe part of it too. Is the sense of there's not really any redemption or any possibility of change, or there's not really anything bigger than me to to live for, and so redemption's not possible. So why not just screw everything? Yeah, I think that's yeah. Maybe that's what Tyler's you know plan is, because again, uh, like yeah. like you were mentioning before, his whole plan is to blow up all these uh, credit card companies to eliminate debt and to bring everything down to zero. And that's his attempt to fix everything. But at the end of the mm -hmm. day, that's never going to happen. We're never going to fix everything. We're never no. going to, like I said before, you know, right. uh, and 
when we have an existential breakdown is we're trying, we're constantly trying to meet the goal. Once I, yeah. once I, I accomplish this goal, I'm going to feel fulfilled. And the, uh, yeah. the real, the reality is, is that we're never going to feel fulfilled. Yeah. What we have to and do is way- live with what we have. Right. And there's this way to looking at like the, the project mayhem methods. Uh, it's you know, maybe similar to like, I don't know. I'm thinking about like in the Exodus story, how, you know, God and Moses do the 10 plagues and some of the Egyptian magicians, they can kind of do the same things, but they only make things worse. Yeah. Like, you know, in this situation. So, okay. So yeah. So you've got this character who's going to, you know, eliminate all that by destroying the, the credit card companies, but that's just going to create more chaos. So it's, Maybe kind of like a good thing in one sense, but it's not, or maybe you could say it's like a, a fair thing, but it's not a good thing. Like different than what if we could like heal people or what if we could teach people financial wisdom or something or yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so now we've come to the, the, the shocking moment where uh, Jack defeats Tyler by shooting his own self in the head and somehow surviving it. That's amazing. <laughs> but but Tyler is now dead and and gone. Right. And uh, and that that was that was like the build up moment of like what we do to uh, eliminate your own inner demons. And I was like, you really gonna put a gun in your head? And he's like, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> and it's funny anyway. because this whole time Edward Norton, the Jack character, he's someone completely different. And you know, so there's a distinction between the two. But once he shoots himself. Now we're talking to only the Edward Norton character, but he almost accepts the fact at that, that when he shoots himself, that's the moment he accepts the fact that he's always been both. And mm-hmm. so now he's talking to his men like, you know, who he yeah. really was. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if there's like a, an arc of like, you know, growing up, development, masculinity, I mean, I guess this is the, this is the moment where he steps into himself. He takes ownership of himself. He takes ownership of his responsibilities. He takes ownership of his own legacy, which granted is mischievous and violent and not a good one, but, um, but, but he's owning it. And in that sense, we could say this is a moment when he mans up Mm -hmm. and, and is fully present, fully in himself, fully integrated. Uh, If only wasn't uh, as violent as it was, Uh, it could be beautiful in a different way. Yeah. uh, Yeah. All that I say. So yeah, my um, my sense of what it you know if we I mean we've been riffing a little bit on like uh, toxic cost concepts of masculinity that are you know based on this exaggerated view of violence, exaggerated view of sexuality, exaggerated view of conquest and, and everything. And I've always I've often thought that you know if I were going to say man up, it would be something like you know man up, feel your feelings, or you know man up, <laughs> take responsibility for yourself. Um, you know. Which I think is very different than like conquest domination. Um, sometimes it comes with authority. I don't, I don't know that that's like a necessary component of that, but very much just like yeah, I'm going to be present with myself. I'm going to be present with my people. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to take responsibility for what's mine. I'm mm-hmm. going to make choices as wisely as I can, and then take responsibility for the consequences. Right. Um, I kind of feel like that's a concept of manhood that I could uh, be really comfortable with. Yeah. Well, it's uncomfortable because it, it means I have to take responsibility for stuff. But anyway, that's that. Yeah. And so all the buildings blow up. They all come down. And the great, uh, you know, where is my mind by the pixies start to play. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yes. And then and we then come the to the end. Yes. 
So, yes. Yeah. So that's Fight Club, a relic from my high school days. Yeah. Although I don't think I, I actually saw it in high school. I think I was a little older. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, but I think that every... I think that we're we've come to a generation where like we we all remember seeing this for the first time, you know, yeah. and we remember ourselves when we glorified it when we thought that Tyler Durden was the greatest person who ever lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, we were young and we were dumb, and everybody does that. Everyone glorifies yeah. the wrong person, and but right, you know, <laughs> we're impressionable and wanting to fit in and finding a way to find finding a way to matter and. I, I think for me too, like, I mean, I, I was, I was homeschooled and I it was very much like this, you know, church boy, golden boy when I was a kid. So something, you know, watching a movie like this for me was a form of rebellion or, or a form of like, exploration or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, it was a way of being edgy and being cool mm-hmm. and, uh, expanding myself. And, yeah. um, which again, I mean, maybe that just like speaks again to like the need for like struggle and initiation and exploration and just, I don't know. There, there's a lot that goes on there, but <laughs> that's a little, a little bit of my story. So yeah, so there you go, Fight Club. Uh, anything else you wanna, you wanna bunt this that you wanna say to button this up, or I think because um, I, I, I always ask that, but at the end of the day, like what, <laughs> what always happens is like, no, I think we talked about everything we needed to say, but if there is something. I think, yeah, that was it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we did it. Yeah, we did it. I, it's good to good to be present with yourself. Good to not shoot people. And right, yes, <laughs> there's a good way and a bad way of doing all this. So, so there you go. Right, embrace the struggle. Yeah, but but beware of your allegiance. Yeah, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> so, where can we find you? You can find me a couple places. You, so, uh, <laughs> my professional persona uh, is me, Reese Basimio. You can find me at newpatterncounseling.com. That's my the website for my practice. You can also f- uh, look up the Smart Council podcast mm-hmm. um, on podcast places. Um, I am in the process of creating my author author self. So, I'm doing a Tyler Durden thing. Um, <laughs> Moses Burnaby. I'm going to be using the alias of Moses Burnaby to publish my novels. Someday, nice. Hopefully, Lord willing. So I'm developing a website, uh, MosesBurnaby.com, and I'm developing a podcast called The Word and Journey Podcast. Um, this may not be released just when this podcast uh, episode airs, but uh, but check back because um, hopefully, hopefully soon. Yeah, we'll talk but about I'd it. I'll to... post it. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, so thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I really love, again, talking about this movie. Uh, again, uh, we talk about toxic masculinity, but at the end of the day, we need something. You know, we yes. can we can criticize it all we want, but at the end of the day, we all needed. The reason it happens is because we need something. And, you know, so there yes, you go. Absolutely. Glad yeah. we got to talk. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for having me. It yeah. was fun. You too. All right. And everyone else, thanks guys for listening and we'll we'll see you next time. Bye. We'll see you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the commentarians. Thank you for listening.
And until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.